0: to February 1992
1: in the Legacy Series. It is Saturday night's main event and it is bonus footage from Ms. fan himself. What a difference a year makes. What a difference a couple of years make. Last year at this time we were in this lockdown situation. People weren't traveling. Tomorrow I will be getting on a plane doing an impromptu trip to the northeast to places I have never been. I'm excited about that. I don't know if I remember how to fly and how to be and how to go from this place to that place, but I'm doing it anyway. I'm at my uh, the girlfriend's place, we'll say, for a couple more days, a couple more weeks. And yesterday she asked me, if you were in the NWA, what would your gimmick be? And I thought, by God, what a question. By God, what a question. But I can't answer stuff in real time, so it threw me for a loop. But I had to answer it because I'm already pacing, so I might as well get into character. And I said I would walk out there, go to that desk right in the middle of a promo, and I would take the microphone and I would say, I am a budding historian of pro wrestling, and I am here to chronicle the NWA champion as he transforms the wrestling world. Well, guess what? Nick Aldis wouldn't even come out. He's got nothing to do with me. He's not gonna waste his time on this nobody out here talking this talk. So every time Nick Aldis wrestles, I would go to the announce booth and I would start hyping what I know about him, what I know about the business. I am a budding historian of pro wrestling here to chronicle the NWA champion as he transforms the wrestling world. And over and over and over again until finally, finally, I get I get an appearance, thank you very much, from the heavyweight champion Nick Aldis, and I tell him I was there. I saw it when Shane Douglas lifted that belt over his head and threw it down. I've seen the NWA go down, 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 and be sold, 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 and I've seen it be purchased, and I've seen what he's done. I saw him with Cody. I saw him with Marty. I've seen it. And what's it going to hurt him? If I'm just here to chronicle the NWA champion. And yeah, he's got enough ego that if he doesn't have to waste his time, he'll stick his hand out and shake mine and let me do whatever I'm doing over on the side. But as he goes to shake my hand, out of the curtain comes a new performer who attacks Nick Aldis, who knocks him down, lays him out on his face. And as Nick Aldis looks up at this loser who they let in the building a few weeks ago, I would look down at him and I would tell him, I am a budding historian here the chronicle the NWA champion as he transforms the wrestling world. I just never said that champion was you. And now I'm a heel manager, and that would be fun to be. So that's what I said in real time. That has nothing to do with the plan I'm trying to make on this show. I just wanted to say it to other people. That's how uh, interesting my life is, how sad maybe it is. I wanted someone else to hear it. Not that she wasn't a good audience, but you know, you don't want to do it again. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, what a year, two years, three years can make. Four years ago, Ms. Van and I tried to keep our credibility. Even though we watched this show, we signed up for WWF The Legacy Series for Randy Savage. But we still had to say that world title reign was not all that we hoped it could be. It didn't live up to Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant, even though we wished it did. What a difference. I think we are now in a world in 1992 where Hulk Hogan himself can't stand next to Randy Savage. What a difference a few years make. I think we're in a world where Bret Hart has completely separated himself from the Hart Foundation and he's starting to be that architect that we're going to see. What a difference when Shawn Michaels has separated himself from Marty Jannetty and Sherry is now on the scene. What a difference. When Ric Flair, who we barely got through in the Legacy Series for a couple of years because we were a little tired of some of what he was doing and not willing to do. And now he is on top of the world, dancing on the World Wrestling Federation, showing off like it's the easiest thing he's done in his career. Ladies and gentlemen, we're in 1992, and 1992 is a beautiful thing. 1992 is a story that never fully gets told. It's chaotic, but it's beautiful. It's opportunity, but it's stifled. It's it's all these things in a pot, and you get a taste, and you come back the next day, and you're like, I want more of whatever you made yesterday. And they say we ran out, and we don't even know what we put in there, so you're never going to see it again. That's what we're at in the road to WrestleMania. Ladies and gentlemen, I am the Mystic PhD, and I am joined by my friend and co-host by God, my learned colleague. He is Mr. Ms. Fan the brain
2: good readings miss fan fans welcome indeed back to WWF the legacy series we are here with the budding wrestling historian himself and, uh, and myself as well, and we are going to bring to you some history of the WWF, and hopefully it will not end in a heel turn, but if it does, it does, if that is what the mystic decrees. We are in the early days of 1992, one of the richest periods that we can be in. What a difference a year makes, and this time a year ago we were dreading the work of sergeant slaughter and his pathetic anti-american angle and uh before that my god i can't even connect the dots sometimes and we've been doing this all concurrently and even so this wrestling world is changing and changing and changing and it will change again long before we are ready for it to change but for now, we are on the road to WrestleMania 8 and what a road it is. I am glad to be here. I'm glad to be back on this show. Glad to have you listening. It's a great time. It's a great life. Mystic, let's get into it.
1: We have done this show for so many years, especially if you go to WCW, the Legacy Series, that it's hard to explain. When you're in Hogan vs. Zeus and Hogan vs. Slaughter, and you know before that you loved everything about it. It becomes very intellectual when you don't like it, because when you really, really like it, you're not only experiencing something mentally, but felt sense, like you're feeling in your body. Like I could sit down, if it was Saturday morning, right now, and WWF 1992 was on, I would watch the whole thing, Nasty Boys included, because of what it feels like. Whereas when you're reduced to Hogan and Zeus, you're like, I know I don't like this, and here's 72 reasons, but you can't quite get back to what it used to feel like to feel different than what you're experiencing at the time. Mm. And for me, that felt sense is back. And I'm just so excited about almost everybody who comes up on the show.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, we have a great set. I think coming up here, we do have Saturday night's main event. We have some very special bonus matches, some bonus promos, some uh, great setups for WrestleMania eight. It's going to be great. I have an especially great time in the show when the Mystic is uh, truly into it. The Mystic is um, a very particular wrestling (laughs) fan, as you might know, in his life. Uh, You watch wrestling when he enjoys it. When he is not enjoying it, he he will be the farthest thing from it. So it's always interesting to see Mystic confront wrestling that uh, maybe he wouldn't watch voluntarily. And yet, when we are in these great moments where everyone is fully on board... Uh, it's just a great thing, and, and when I say everyone, I mean the WWF, because they have to be on board as well, and they are not always, but right now they are, and it's a great thing.
1: It's funny that you say that. Number one, I appreciate that. Number two, I was trying to type in words right before we went on to try to figure out what it, what the difference is, and I don't think I quite got there, but I typed the word mystify, mm. and the word mystify it has some, like, to confuse or bewilder, to perplex, perplex purposely, but it also oh. says to make mysterious. And I think that might be the difference sometimes. There was a time in the 80s where everybody was mysterious. Like, I knew what Bobby Heenan was doing, but I didn't quite know where it's coming from. I didn't know all he would do with the family. I didn't know what Hokamania was capable of. I hadn't seen the ends and its reaches and its boundaries. you know. But then what happens is when they don't refresh themselves, you come to see their boundaries and you come to see every space and there's no mystery anymore. And Hulk Hogan lacks mystery. He lacks anything that brings me to the table. Yeah, he's going to drag on until 1996. So we're <laughs> back to mist, a mystified scene because I don't know fully what The Undertaker's going to do. I don't know what Jake Roberts is going to do. I don't know what Sherry and Sean and Brett and Macho Man and Flair, I don't know what they're going to do. But my God, I want to find out.
2: Mm, yeah, I think uh, maybe worst of all is when the WWF creates a mystery that you don't want to know the answer to. Mm. Um, (laughs) Perhaps uh, what will Sid do is a mystery that maybe we would prefer (laughs) that was not solved, but uh, it will be solved today. So it is great stuff. I'm very excited. To get into it i like what you say the mysterious nature of some of this stuff going on uh it is great because you don't know what will happen some unexpected things will happen on the show hell one thing will be unexpected even though we've known it was coming all along it will be mysterious even so and uh i'll let our listeners decide if that's a good thing or a bad thing but it is definitely a mysterious thing it is definitely an interesting thing for me <laughs>
1: excellent Ms. Van has just mystified this episode because i don't know if i fully know or maybe i do know maybe i don't know but that's the mystery and that's why i have to sit here and find out
2: mystify the mystic we'll be in <laughs> all right
1: <laughs> i'm just going to go in the order that, that you uh gave it to us is that good with you
2: that's good i tried to put it mainly chronological i kind of grouped some uh feud specific stuff at the end so yeah let's just go through the order and uh yeah it should be all good
1: i think we have to because one thing that we often compare this to 97 because it's chaotic and there's falling out the wrestlemania card's going to be turned on its head we start off with madison Ooh. square garden just
2: think just 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 before that just a yeah. second i'm thinking february can be a very magic month in the wwf because you said 97 and i'm thinking suddenly five years ahead to uh final four, Vader, Austin, Brett, and Undertaker. It's funny, we got two of those guys uh popping up right here in the segment we're about to talk about. But man, February can be a really magic month. I just gotta throw that out for a second there.
1: no oh, that's great because the final four is a lot like what is it, five? Or the four or five sitting at that table. Oh
2: five or six I think, yeah. It's it's a nice collection. But yeah, it's the same trying to pick that WrestleMania winner. Uh, or challenger and yeah no, know there, there's a lot of connection right there
1: it's an era of spillover and you don't know who's going to end up it's like that raw ring when we get to the greatest uh one of the greatest and most unprecedented times in raw you're gonna have four or five men fighting uh, at the end of a lot of shows and who ends up in the ring like brett might start in the ring but he might suicide dive onto somebody undertaker and sid might be outside austin's in austin's out and it's all these people they're all fighting for the ring but they fight so hard that by the time the night's over, nobody's in it.
2: <laughs> oh, that's a beautiful thing. And something that you touched on in an earlier episode, who's in every one of these things we're talking about? Undertaker's sitting at that table. Undertaker's in there for Final Four. Undertaker's in this next match we're talking about. This is a guy who's really fast going to become the bedrock here.
1: Yeah, I can't say enough about the Undertaker. I'm going to have ridiculous praise for Paul Bearer. A little bit later on too yeah. so it's just it's just man we're in it and we're in Madison Square Garden when this kicks off and that's I think you've done such a great job of finding these uh, gems because you know everybody knows what Madison Square Garden means and according to everyone on the WWF video the only reason a wrestler breathes is to be a WWF wrestler and to wrestle in Madison Square Garden well by God here you are so you know you better bring it
2: Right, absolutely. I'm very sad because this is probably the last set where we'll be able to watch these uh, Madison Square Garden matches. Because after, I think, February of 92, uh, they just won't be broadcasting them anymore, which I think is very sad. It's the end of an era. It's the end of these kind of regional house shows that they would uh, air. I guess it's inevitable with everything becoming more globalized and uh, you know, there's there's hardly such a thing as a region or a territory anymore in certain senses. And yet, yeah, so many great great matches, great experiences have come out of these shows. So I just gotta give a salute to them existing at all and to the beautiful people out there who keep them in circulation. Um, when WWF would probably just uh you know sit on them in the vault if they had their mm. way. So God bless the uh the the other budding wrestling historians who share this material and uh, are just just wonderful keepers of the word out there
1: absolutely i love that word keepers and they they unearth what is to be further unearthed so yes it's january 31st it's the last day of that month before we get into the month the Ms. Van just told you about that infamous famous wonderful scary february this is a prelude of things to come in WWF. It is Bret the Hitman Hart going one-on-one with The Undertaker.
2: Sure, yeah. I mean, this will main event, SummerSlam 1997, probably other events as well. Uh, I I feel like they fought quite a few times for that WWF championship in the future at Royal Rumbles, at, um, at many various events. So this is definitely a sign of the future right here. And I don't know if people understood that, Uh, You know, in the crowd or backstage, I don't know if they fully appreciated what a prophetic match this could be, and yet uh, we get a really, really good, in my opinion, match right here.
1: I don't know if there's a way to, to know, because as good as Undertaker is, he just doesn't seem like he's built to last forever. Like, that seems like it wouldn't be his purpose, but my God, the first thing I noted was Undertaker gets interesting entrances. It's not even about whether they're cheering him or booing him. There is a stirring in the building and in the crowd when he first comes out. There's an uncomfortable, a movement, something going on that's neither cheers nor boos exactly. Mm,
2: Very much so. Undertaker will definitely get to a point where he's getting either cheers or boos. But it is always interesting with these characters. I always think of uh, Kane, who I've always had a pretty sizable soft spot for. And I swear, in his whole career, I can hardly remember people cheering or booing here. It's like, it's just like kind of an experience when he appears, and it's like a mystery. What will he do? Um, So there's kind of a different feeling to these kind of guys.
1: It's got to be Vince's greatest accomplishments for what he thinks. When he thinks he sports entertainment and he misses 9 out of 10 of those swings. Ah. You know, this is... It's a, it's a haunted house you know it, it's a horror movie, it's a theme ride. like it is an experience that you go there. You don't go there to say I cheer the undertaker like you said we will eventually but like or boo the undertaker in his early era but if I'm sitting back there in gorilla the thing that would say we did it this time is watching heads turn and babies like and young people at their heads either dart up or dart down. Like, people would sometimes embrace their parents. You know, it's just an experience when The Undertaker comes out, and that right there tells, tells you you got this thing right. It is transferring correctly.
2: Were you ever um, afraid of The Undertaker? You you watched through these early days. You were a pretty young child. I think I might have been if I had watched it this time, so I got to ask. And...
1: I don't think that I was. I think I was more like, what in the world is going on? Like, because this is the kind of stuff that would appeal, especially all we knew mostly, but aside from pro wrestling was like a very literal interpretation of the Bible and all of that, because we were kind of raised on that. So he just seemed like something that would come up into the world based on everything I knew about the world.
2: <laughs> Paging through revelation to see if he's in there. I got you. Yeah. Cause
1: he, the gray smoke, I think is what I remember the most is like, especially with the funeral parlor, all that smoke around mm-hmm. and, I had no – I think that is like the fans. I had no interpretation for it. And the best – when I watch WCW or the NWA and it's best, I can tell you I am here to watch this because it's gritty southern wrestling that emphasizes authentic encounters, blah, 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 blah. When I watch the best of WWF, I can't give you a single reason why I'm there. I just can't leave it.
2: (laughs) Uh, There's something magic about it when it works, so you got to give them that, I think.
1: Yeah, and the fascinating thing is the guy who's going to come up alongside him is the furthest thing from it. This is a guy who's not going to vomit when Papa Shango comes out like the ultimate warrior. This is a literal, uh, blue collar, uh, get it done guy in Brett the Hitman heart. So these guys could not be more different, yet they're going to come up together and intertwine in that journey.
2: Yeah, Brett, the, 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 um, workman the earthen uh, creator building up his his worlds brick by brick and uh, yeah it is very very different and yet somehow these guys will coexist really well over the next several years
1: at least in my mind some of my favorite brett matches are against guys like undertaker and diesel yeah and you, you watch him break them down like if most of us have like what like the calf area and a knee and then our thigh Guys like Diesel, especially, he has, like, six legs down there, six, like, parts to put together, (laughs) and Bret Hart can attack each one of them. Yeah, so you go watch him break down, like, here's the upper part of your leg. Now I'm I'm in the middle. Now the lower part of your leg. Now I'm on the arm. Now I'm on the neck, you know, and Bret's just so good at this stuff. So you got to watch him. He attacks from below, and I don't think – I think guys like Undertaker and Bret – or in Diesel are not ready for what Bret Hart can do.
2: I I really have to thank you for giving an image of a six-legged Kevin Nash. (laughs) That's that's quite terrifying um, to think of. But uh, if you wanted to say he's got a mile of quad down there that you can go after, I'm definitely with you.
1: Absolutely. They're all he's got six parts. They're all quads, and they all can blow very easily. (laughs) Bob Backlund didn't know that, so he just lost in eight seconds. But Uh, Brett went longer than eight seconds, and the whole thing was done.
2: If there's one thing I'm looking forward to with Nash, it's definitely that stuff with Brett. I know, uh, what, Survivor Series 95, I think? I I know yeah. that's going to be uh, a real high mark for me, which is amazing, because usually I'm not into Nash at all, but I'm going to have tons of good things to say there.
1: I will, too. That's a transform- transformational moment in WWF, and I said this last week, I don't ever want to defend Nash, but yeah, <laughs> that Diesel gimmick's so bad that I'm going to pan him for a while, but also then... Offer my sympathies, because who's going to be Diesel in that air and like and at work? I don't know who, who that would be.
2: Right. I mean, for all his flaws, um, he got dealt a bad hand also, I think we're going to have to say. But I don't actually know. That's, why, that's my reputation on my side. So we're going to have to unearth that and kind of figure out what's true and what's not from our perspective.
1: Absolutely. I will give you all the time you need, but I will just tell you if it's like anything in my memory that it might just jump out of the ground and unearth itself
2: (laughs) (laughs) all right fair enough
1: okay so this is this again this is early for both of these guys in their singles runs i feel like a lot is on the line uh undertaker still finding himself i think in some ways so let's get into what actually goes down in the matchup
2: sure sure yeah um Bret Hart gives his glasses over to a, a kid and not a young woman, so that'll make you uh, pleased yes. and less worried about uh, those fans. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, Undertaker attacks Brett kind of before he's ready. Uh, there's a lot of choking, as you kind of see from Undertaker in this era, which bothers some people. I, I don't mind it so much. You know, it's something about it. It just seems to work. I remember in this match particular, at one point it's like he's smothering Brett. He's got those thick gloves which don't look like you could breathe through them he's got his hand over your face it looks like man like call 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 a real undertaker maybe because this guy could die right here
1: yeah i'm with you all this series i have hated everything like this but i've seen him do it and i'm aware he's doing it and so far it has not bothered me Hmm. you know it just is what it is uh i'd like the beginning when brett gives the sunglasses like he said he rolls under the either just over the bottom rope and undertaker just slides like to meet him on the mat and then gives him a thrust in the throat.
2: Yeah. Yeah. White undertaker moves. There's something to be said for that also. I think
1: I do too. That, that might be why I'm not as bad. Number one, if he's got that big, great glove and he has got his hand over your face. Like I believe that more than I believe some of these bear hugs and, um, other things. <laughs> yeah, also, I mean, yeah. Uh,
2: there's something more uh, visceral about it, I think.
1: And like you said, he can switch it up real fast. Um, We saw a little bit of Bret Hart in sequence. That's what you want to get because I think the greatness of Bret Hart is going to come more and more as he architects. He becomes the architect of moments and then full matches. So, like, you watch how precise he is. He's going to hit an an inverted atomic drop on The Undertaker, go off the ropes and do a propelled clothesline, and then do a push-off drop kick. And all of it is so on purpose. And when you get Bret Hart in his purpose, there's not much like it.
2: Yeah, very much so. I mean, uh, that's the workman. That's the uh, earth element at play there. It's a lot of things laid out in a row. It's very structured, and uh, it's just very well executed. So you got to give praise for that. And-
1: I think the other thing I know with Brett um, is the scrappy punches that he does.
2: Mm, yeah. Yeah, you know, He's
1: not afraid of nothing. He's not afraid of the moment. Um, I think Sean is always a little more afraid than Brett. Brett Hart will walk right in and do what he needs to do. I don't think he registers hey this is undertaker and he's a dead man and he's six foot ten bret hart is there to do what bret hart will do so i was very impressed with him and i feel like especially with roddy piper with piper we're about to get one of those bret hart finishes so we are getting into i think some some of what will be signature bret hart
2: absolutely yeah year over year he's building it up here and you gotta think a guy like bret sees he's wrestling the undertaker if he's got any fear of that he pushes it down into the earth uh, where he lives, and then he comes up with a plan of okay, how do I disassemble this guy piece by piece?
1: Yeah, man, he he. Um, I think this is a big moment that he lasts this long with the Undertaker. He also they get the Undertaker panicking, and it's going to come down to you know having to use that again the mysterious urn because we're starting to realize that urn has some relationship to the Undertaker, but we don't fully know what it is.
2: Yeah, I think uh, this is Heenan and Monsoon on the call, and uh, Monsoon will often give Bobby Heenan uh, trouble for the fact that uh, he has not found out the mystery of that urn, he's not found out who's inside it, why it's important, it's something Heenan said he would do on commentary, and uh, you know he always comes up short, so it's, it's a great bit, uh, and it also kind of lends to what you're saying, the mystery of that urn.
1: Yeah, that's a funny uh, ending in that, I didn't know who would win the match. I predicted the DQ or a countout, which is the safe pig in this uh, world <laughs> that we live in. But it wasn't like that. Paul Barrow gets on the apron. as a ref bump. Bret Hart does the sharpshooter. Um, and we think it uh, depends on where you sit. Maybe he has Undertaker beat. Maybe he doesn't. Uh, but there will be an earned shot from the Undertaker. And the Undertaker will get the victory over Bret Hart.
2: Mm-hmm, but only that very dirty win. And as you said, it seemed like Bret very well might have had the match sewn up. Uh, I'll just say, I really, really like this match. I think it's probably the first great Undertaker match that I have seen. Um, I recommend anybody check it out. Uh, by the time this is aired, I will post posted these links uh, all over Twitter and uh, in the forums, I believe. Uh, bear with us as we figure out kind of the uh, staggered release schedule. But uh, hopefully everyone will be able to check this out because I really just got to praise... Both of these guys. There's so much great stuff. It's a great sequence where Brett is making a comeback, knocks Taker out of the ring, Taker lands on his feet, and Brett just dives out on him in this kind of wild moment that popped me hugely and just showed me kind of the good parts of the future that we are going to come at right here. Yeah.
1: It's also so- showing the boundaries that were before are not there anymore. You know, you're going to have a world champion before this year is over who jumps over the to top rope and who does things like that. Mm. And, you know, you had Savage, but still, I think Savage, especially when he was in that era, tried to play up. Like, I got big muscles, you know, so I can be a world champion, too, because that's what it takes. You know, whereas I see Savage, and I think some of what we're seeing, again, of Savage is something else. But Bret Hart's going to show us, you know, something different. Undertaker, so many... We're not in that era anymore, and if anybody stands out to me, unless I'm proven wrong, Hulkamania is dead, and now Hulk Hogan is the stranger in this land.
2: Yeah, I mean, it definitely looks like it. We're going to talk about Hulk Hogan more as we go along here, but I'll just say flat out here, just to make sure that I don't forget it, that's in the conversation. We talked a lot about how after the Rumble... Uh, The story is Hogan went backstage, he misbehaved, he complained, oh, this wasn't good, this was, you know, you guys screwed me over. And yet, in all of this, we will see him just doubling down on exactly the same thing he did at the Royal Rumble, and you can't convince me that Hogan didn't have the stroke to change the narrative, so I don't know. I don't know what I believe. I believe Hulk Hogan misbehaved, certainly, but I don't think... Hogan, I don't know. I really question whether he understood why people booed him at the Royal Rumble. I don't know if he did, so we're going to talk about that as we move along here.
1: Yeah, for the life of me, I don't know who booked it. I don't know what the intention was. Because even now, I don't remember fully what we're going to see until we get to it. But there are moments where it's, again, like I identify more with Sid than I do Hulk Hogan because <laughs> – did has a gripe and Hulk Hogan does not, and so, it, like Miss Van said, maybe it's that you know he, he this abuse went on. Like this is a man who <laughs> he he let us know that the Hulkamaniacs never accepted Randy Savage, and that they that Hogan and the Hulkamaniacs played Randy Savage and pretended to be his friend, and then we're gonna take the belt off of him the whole time, but Randy Savage betrayed him. So. That's the kind of that's the level stuff he got away with, so I don't fully know if I'm completely where you are, but I can give you a bunch of stuff that supports what you got to say, and that's definitely one of them.
2: All right, we're going to get into all that later. So let's continue along the uh, the order we have laid out here.
1: We are going now to two men who are having like uh, career high runs. Mm. Don't stop either. Don't let them do their thing. Right, it's going to be Randy Savage and Jake Roberts the same night in Madison Square Garden. But first, we're going to get a Lord Alfred Hayes uh, interview with Randy Savage. Randy Savage says, you think you're Shakespeare? <laughs> <laughs>
2: a great line he said that in response to alfred hayes saying uh jake the snake has made some very slighting remarks about you (laughs) which is um a great turn of phrase as well uh ryan savage says "Uh, i know that you know i can't get any madder than i am now so all these words don't even mean anything he says he could leave elizabeth in the back but uh he won't he's gonna bring her out anyway to prove he can protect her which is maybe (laughs) Not the most considerate thing you could do with Elizabeth, but as we will find out, um, consideration for Elizabeth is not exactly on the top of Randy Savage's list.
1: But this is why this stuff is the best when it's the best because what we learned in that, and we keep, I keep going back, folks, to the to the height of the '80s because this is what it reminds me of. But one thing we learned is that is supposed to be. We're told that is the most uh, kind of. Grade one, good guy, bad guy, drone lines. In the height of it, it wasn't like that. It was narratives versus narratives. It was people versus people. And yeah, we uh, somebody somewhere was trying to situate them, but you know, not easily. And what we got right now, we'll see this with Jake Roberts, and I'll, I'll touch on it again when we get to Ric Flair. This man, this guy, is the macho man, and Elizabeth is kind of that old school woman by his side, and you think, oh, well, that's just, they just do that, and that's the good way to do things at the time. No, 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 no. Jake Roberts sees what's flawed in the relationship. Ric Flair sees what's flawed in the relationship. But Randy Savage is so Randy Savage that he sees that they see, and he still can't do anything differently. Like, the way that they undermine Mm. his macho man name and his macho man gimmick, this is the kind of stuff... That I'm talking about. It's not so simple. It's not everything a good guy does is good, and everything a bad guy does is bad. There's warfare here. There is. There is. There is psychology here. There is back and forth here. And Randy Savage is Randy Savage's own worst enemy. But part of being Randy Savage is being Randy Savage's own worst enemy. And
2: then, if you see. Something that is exploding. I challenge you to stop that explosion. You can't. You don't know how. There's no way. It is the least controllable of the elements. So, yeah, I love what you say. Even though um, people are seeing these uh, vulnerabilities in Randy Savage, I don't think he can stop. I don't think he can act any differently than he is acting.
1: And the scary thing about Jake Roberts, I think he just wanted the world to burn Mm. because – I know what Ric Flair is doing. Ric Flair will get to his trying to undermine Randy Savage so that Randy Savage makes a mistake, and Ric Flair can put his feet on the rug and win and run away. I don't know why Jake Roberts is doing this. It doesn't look good for Savage, and it doesn't look good for Jake Roberts, and I know it's not so you can get a pinfall over Randy Savage. I don't think I want to know fully if Jake Roberts never left the WWF and never lost his push. I think you almost had to kick him out of the company. Because there wasn't going to be anything (laughs) left of the company.
2: That's great. I mean, uh, we've seen him before. Jake. You know, he's a snake, of course, but uh, maybe just like some kinds of dogs. When he bites, I don't know if he can let go sometimes, you know, and that maybe that is true for a snake as well. We saw that snake attached to the arm of Randy Savage with great determination, and I think that's about the perfect visual for this. I don't think Jake can stop when he gets into this. I don't think he can stop bringing his wife out and trying to humiliate Rick Rude. I don't think he can stop trying to give Andre the Giant another heart attack. You know, once he gets onto one of these things, i don't know i don't think his personality allows him to let go until it's run its course
1: yeah i think one thing i'll remember jake roberts for is when you're watching something so gruesome that you want to look away look at jake roberts and he's gonna tilt his head and just under his mustache a little grin and it might be the only time you see him happy
2: there's that story, uh, what is it, the frog and the scorpion, I think, but it might as well be uh, the frog and the snake. And people always, if you know the story, you know, the, the the frog or what have you, tries to give the snake or scorpion a ride across the river and gets bit or stung or whatever and drowns. Everyone always thinks about the frog in that story, but you know what? That snake or that scorpion, they die too, you know. They mm-hmm. die just the same. They can't avoid their fate any more than Randy Savage can. <laughs>
1: oh, you just, you just fed the folks at home, and that, that's, a, that's a playful, and it's good. Man. Oh, my God. This is what—I think sometimes what WWF does, again, to be the, the best and the worst is the same thing. Like, these are mythological characters, which means they're very singular, but yet they're so good in it that you don't get tired of it. You can't exhaust what is in their singularity. Whereas then you get, kept, like, Bastion Booger is also singular. Repo Man's also singular, but it's not the same thing.
2: Mm. Yep. We said it early in the series, WWF, what do they love most? Drill down, drill down, drill down. Mm. And uh, a lot of times I think it is on the quality of the performer, uh, and the gimmick as well, but a lot of times really just on the performer, can you sustain the drill down? And if you can, yeah. I think you'll be very, very successful. And if you can't, dear god you know we'll be suffering here many years later on the legacy series
1: yes and i don't know fully how to explain it but that's that the mystified nature is that if this is the fifth time that randy savage has been tried the same way or the fifth time jake roberts has enacted something the same way but not one of them is also the same they are exactly the same and they're never the same like there's always something more something different something to uncover something to discover they're both perverts in their own way. I think it would be a great mythological character. You're obsessed with one thing. You are one way. But you're not stale in it. You're not singular. You're still growing. Like, you made the choice to give up everything to see the world one way, to be one way, so that you could grow in that thing. So these are people who are on the move. They're growing. They're evolving. They're changing. But they also have kind of picked their lane.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. So, speaking of a man who has uh, picked his lane, I got to touch on this because uh, maybe it'll pop you, Mr. Uh, former Preacher. Bobby mm. Heenan, before this match, is a great bit from the Bible about turning the other cheek. Hey, maybe uh, Elizabeth will come out here so she can turn the other cheek. You know, <laughs> boom, boom. You know, slap on both cheeks. He will imitate. So, that was a great
1: moment. I have no uh, idea why I didn't hear that, but that is awesome. <laughs>
2: oh, Beautiful. Mm-hmm
1: i'm surprised she doesn't we'll have some Liz nice conversation <laughs> i
2: think she that. would have they uh you know left her to her own devices so uh oh my god i can't go down this road but um is is miss elizabeth kind of like a perfect um christian character you know she she i feel like she's always turning the other cheek to everybody um you know the only time uh she kind of went against it is when she was sort of messing with randy savage but uh I don't even know if that was her idea, so I I can't go down that rabbit hole, but now it occurred to me.
1: Yeah, she got a little bit of, I think, distinct character in her where, you know, (laughs) doesn't like anything that happens and never tries to, you know, approach it differently.
2: (laughs) Indeed, you know, she spends a lot of time looking worried, and yet, uh, I don't know, I feel like there's sort of a serenity about her in just that, well, you know, bad things may happen to me, I may suffer, but I'm just kind of like this serene, uh beautified person and um i'm sort of uh, not touched by it even when i am touched so i don't know there's something there
1: it's, it's hard to be a bit this is again the, why we said hulk hogan was different in the 80s because this is a, a lot of ways that even randy savage who we've seen as a despicable heel twice over now like he is a guy that just uh, he's starting to like kind of you know give me give me my lumps give me my lumps he's starting to get in that mentality mm-hmm. hulk hogan never played that role as a baby face oh yeah that's correct
2: you give him a lump, and he'll he'll come and beat up your grandma, I think, you know, and uh, just, oh, yeah. he was Hollywood always, for sure.
1: So here we are, folks. It is Madison Square Garden. We are on our final days of Jake the Snake Roberts. Uh, we'll see him again later in this show, and we'll maybe talk a little bit about that legacy. But right now, he is in the final days of this feud with Randy Savage, and they're going to try to solve things or not solve things one more time uh, versus each other.
2: Absolutely, and I'll just say up front, as far as uh, in-ring action goes, this is my favorite Savage-Jake match. I uh, think it's well worth checking out. It's a lot of fun. It's not entirely dissimilar to the others you've seen, and yet I think it goes a little bit above and beyond. It's more of a proper match. It's not cut down for the time of whatever show they're doing. It's not cut down for an angle. Uh, It's probably the closest thing we'll have to a real blow-off here between these two you know, if they'd gone to WrestleMania, I think it would have looked a, a little something like this.
1: Yeah. Yeah, this is uh, – Jake is, is as a snake. Like he is he's rolling out, and he's after Liz, so much so that early on the match is going to become a brawl, and officials are going to come down and just take Liz from ringside. So, <laughs> you know, we're not going to see her after that for a while.
2: Indeed, which uh, is probably for the best. So Savage uh, was not the great idea to bring him down here. Um, yeah, this is so hot, though. Um, a lot of this, yeah, like you said, Jake will be stalking Liz. She will be, um, you know, a focus. Uh, Randy Savage will be trying to explode all over Jake every time he gets a chance. Uh, there there will be chairs involved. Um, there will be people jumping off the top rope, even Jake, who maybe you wouldn't expect. Uh, there, There's some really hot stuff in here.
1: Yeah, Jake will be saying to him, As the offense is going, where's Elizabeth now? And you can hear him say it. And this is, again, what I'm talking about. You want to play this traditional role. You want to be the macho man. Well, then every single time anything fails, whether it's you or Elizabeth, you're a failure.
2: Yeah.
1: I've defeated you again. And how many times have I defeated you? I slapped her in the face. I put that snake on you for, I think, a historical run on somebody. You know, I did what I did at the wedding. Like Randy Savage is winning the matches, but I think Jake Roberts is still winning the war
2: yeah i think so like you said he can gain so many (laughs) it's wild because he can gain victory after victory after victory without even winning a match he can do all these things which affect randy savage which which make impacts on him and harm him randy savage i don't know if he can harm jake roberts and all this he can harm him physically but i don't even know if jake really cares about that
1: yeah i don't know i i don't see jake shrinking you know Savage is going to end up pinning him again, and he's already beat him kind of easily at one point, and I don't think it's even registering with Jake. Like, Jake's not taking these L's because he's not out there to pin Randy Savage. Mm.
2: It's probably, <laughs> I think, maybe I'm on a limb here, but I feel like, a lot could be said about the fact that how, how did somebody make Jake shrink once before this, before he turned heel? Well, you kill the snake, you know, Earthquake will sit on him, crush him. That harmed Jake, you know, that caused him uh, real pain, real trouble. What has harmed him after that time? Nothing. I don't think one single thing has harmed Jake the snake after that moment. So, I don't know, was that his last uh, vulnerability? I don't know, maybe it was.
1: Yeah, either you got to go kill a snake again, or you got to not invite him to a party.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, yes, all these things. Because he used the snake for the pops, for the fans. You know, he he, he had that connection with them. Uh, he had his connection with his other baby faces. He lost both of these things, and now what do you do to a man who maybe can't lose anything else? You know, nothing else that's important to him anyway.
1: Yeah, just like with Hogan and Flair. I'm glad we don't get Savage and Jake because I want what we get with Savage and – our Savage and Jake. We don't get just Savage and Jake. I want yeah. Savage and Flair. But you wonder if it went to WrestleMania, would they have had to figure out a way for Savage to get – not only beat him but get under his skin and do something to him in a grander way? Or if it would just been another matchup like this, uh, this one?
2: Yeah, yeah. Like we talked about so many times, uh, a lot of what makes a great baby face is they have something to lose. They have something that can make them vulnerable. That's what Hogan is not keyed into around this time, because I don't feel like any of this is really affecting him at all. And yet you see Savage with Liz, and in the past you see Jake with his snake, with his eye when it was hurt. You know, these things that you can lose you know, we all are at risk of losing things in our life, that's how you relate to these people, you know, that's why I think you and I relate to the heels a lot of the time, because they have so much to lose all the time, hard on their sleeve, out there, you know, life on the line, going against the grain, um, you know, these are the great characters of wrestling, so you really gotta see it, and then when you get someone like Jake, who maybe has nothing to lose, man, he can be a terrifying force if he's on the wrong side,
1: Man, I had never thought about that, but you make a great point. Because as a babyface, you need to lose sometimes so that the fans can pick you back up so that they can feel like they've got a role in this. I've heard people say the reason that guy didn't do well is because he never was desperate and needed the fans. But if you're a heel and you lose, there's nobody going to come around to pick you up and put you back there. It might be that last loss every time you
2: lose. Yeah, yeah. Without that support, you know, who knows what could happen to you there. So that's why they need people like us who do uh, pick them up and support them. That's that's our role sometimes.
1: Yeah, they are wonderfully vulnerable in ways that, you know, and, yes, they bring it on themselves sometimes, CB Mac. I I admit that. Um, I don't have the belief that every heel is good. That's what makes them heels, you know. They're not always justified. They're not always right, but – a lot of times they see something that they can't not speak about, and I think more times than not, it has some merit to it. Mm. And they actually get in trouble for what they say instead of get rewarded and pretend like they get in trouble, so that's also a difference.
2: <laughs> Absolutely so.
1: I'm tired of these officials that only exist in the WWF to like to chase Randy Savage down and not let him do anything.
2: Oh <laughs> uh, Well, they teach that in the same... Uh, class where they teach you to always stop the baby face from running in a tag match and uh, send it back to the apron <laughs> I guess so
1: <laughs> that's a good point I noted one last thing that's just so interesting about Randy Savage is that when he is so beat up that he, he's so disoriented that he, he, swing, he starts punching at the air when there's no wrestler around after the match he is now dominant so he's not like that but he's angry and enraged And he's got the ring bell, and he's just swinging around at air. So how much of Randy Savage's career was spent disoriented?
2: (laughs) The price you pay maybe for being in more than one place. Um, Yeah. (laughs) it's a great point. Um, yes, yeah, so this is a great match. I hope everyone will check it out. Uh, it's really quite excellent, I think. Um, Savage, once again, will get the victory. He'll get the huge pop. Afterwards, he wants to fight more, as, as my friend said. He's swinging around the ring bell, which I think is a nice um, uh, callback to the uh, Ricky Steamboat feud, and I think we'll see that mm-hmm. again at Saturday night's main event. Uh, so, so yeah, there's there's some really excellent stuff here that you can check out if you have a mind to.
1: Absolutely. Now we're gonna revisit the friends of my childhood. Every time I watch this, man, it's like I'm that age, that year, that moment. Like it is still. I don't know what it is because I could easily step out of myself and be like, "Oh, those reporters are ridiculous. Some of the things, this, that, the other." I accept it on its own terms, and it's a beautiful thing. We're talking about the press conference to determine the number one contender for WrestleMania eight to face Ric Flair.
2: Yep, Undertaker, Roddy Piper, Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage, and uh, Sid Justice are all sitting at the tables. Jack Tunney is there, too. Ric Flair, Mr. Perfect, Bobby Heenan are there at the podium. Gene Okerlund, my God, it's a who's who of uh, significant, important people of this era all gathered in one place.
1: I think the question to be asked is, is there a moment during Ric Flair's reign where Mr. Perfect doesn't have a shit-eating grin on his face? <laughs>
2: I would hope not.
1: Yeah. They are the conquerors. Right now, Ric Flair is Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan is sitting in a chair at the same level. It's not even a higher chair. He's sitting at the level of Randy Savage and Sid and Roddy Piper and The Undertaker. (laughs) And standing above them is Bobby Heenan, Mr. Perfect, and Ric Flair. It is strange times in the WWF.
2: It truly is, and I think uh, another sign of where Hulk Hogan is now compared to before, because I think a few years before this, they would have just said, well, you know, we don't have to have a press conference. You know, it is Hulk Hogan. We don't even have to deliberate about it. But here, it will be a little bit different.
1: That's so true, because the fact that we even can consider these guys means we're privileging Hulk Hogan still, but but only by so little. And I think even Savage sitting next to him, that's because so, this is probably – one of the times where they're starting to fall out, because I think Savage and Liz are going to divorce soon. So, you know, Hogan's got to be amongst the people that he affects, and I know that can't be good for him.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Indeed not. Yeah, Hogan, history with everyone on the table, I guess. Uh, Even Sid now, and he'll have more, although I wish he'd have less. So, Um, Flair does his promo. He says, everyone had better get used to him being champion, because no matter who gets chosen, he's going to walk out of WrestleMania uh, he, Heenan, and Perfect do their thing, and then they all head out the door en masse in mass uh, in what I think is a nice visual.
1: Yeah, I love that moment. He says, we're going to walk in Champ, and we'll walk out Champ, and then they just all walk out.
2: Yeah, as Champ. So <laughs> They're
1: not going to hang out. Preview. I think, too, in the past, they would have to stand there so they can be terrified when Hulk Hogan's name gets called, but they're not having it.
2: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, It's funny, because you'll see a little clip of Primetime in this, and I honestly don't know why, but they're happy um, about the idea of Hogan like challenging Flair, so I, I was surprised at that. Uh, but that is the little mini narrative that we're going with here.
1: That's just one more layer in the I can't explain anything that they want me to experience <laughs> about this.
2: Absolutely so. Um, but before we get there, we get to the big moment. Jack Tony is going to declare the number one contender. And uh, Sid Justice stands up before anyone is announced. I'll just say, you know, he's got some legitimate beefs, but I don't know what the hell he's doing here standing up. They didn't bring five people out here because you were a sure thing, Sid. But all right, whatever. Sid stands up, thinks it's going to be him. They say it is Hulk Hogan instead. And Sid makes a face. He's supposed to look pissed. He just looks silly to me because he's Sid.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Randy Savage is. Move, moving as much as Sid just because he's not standing up and he's not happy about it but you know it, like I said this is the problem with this whole thing as much as I enjoyed it as a kid and even enjoyed watching it now is that Sid had a legitimate gripe at uh, Royal Rumble so like it's kind of like hey I'm on Sid's side here but now like you said nobody made Sid stand up you got the common sense to know that there's five people and it's not just to announce you so Hogan did not embarrass you this time like you embarrassed yourself
2: Indeed. Not that he doesn't have some legitimate gripe anyway, but, uh, well, what can you do? He's got half the brain that you do, so he doesn't realize these same things that we all do.
1: Yeah. Uh, So, Hogan's going to say, I told you so. which He is always the guy to tell you, I told you so. He says, it's going to come full circle, blah, blah, blah. He's going to WrestleMania, but he's also not. This is another thing, because there's got to be people... If this is like when I was growing up, and I don't know, we weren't ordering pay-per-views, but you could order them for a while. Yeah. So did, did, did people, was pay-per-view, was WrestleMania available to be ordered at this time? If so, like who ordered it to see Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair? And yet they're going to present that and drop it like it's nothing as well. So yeah, it's, it's just curious.
2: Yeah, yeah, it'll be, uh, what, I think, seven, six days, something like that, from here to Saturday Night's Main Event, where everything will get turned on its head. So, yeah, I don't know if they sold anything off this Main Event that will not happen, but uh, it's interesting that even now, because before I re this, I actually thought that they announced Randy Savage here as the uh, number one contender. I don't know why I thought that. I misremembered. But, um, you know, they might as well for how quickly they will pivot. So it's interesting that they started out with Hulk Hogan here.
1: Yeah, and then you still got to do a whole thing where Sid is teaming up with Hogan to betray him so he can switch matches. But even in that match until then, you got to be like, oh, Hogan and Flair are in the ring together. What will happen at WrestleMania? You know? <laughs>
2: indeed, indeed. Um, I love that we get kind of these post-conference comments from uh, more than one person. We go to Randy Savage, who says uh, he he basically says it should have been him, but he also wishes Hogan luck. He calls him a good friend, which is interesting based on their history.
1: Yeah, I love Randy Savage here. Uh, Sean Mooney asked him about it. He says I didn't like it. I wish it was the Macho Man. That's me. I like me. That's a simple, <laughs> but, that, you know, yeah, no such I such honesty. No, no, yeah, I, just, I think in the eighties he would have just started where he uh where he stopped, which is, you know, hug as a friend and go go do the thing with Flair, you know.
2: Yeah, at a certain them, time he would have for sure.
1: And then Sean Mooney's gotta work overtime because now he's got to go over there and talk to uh, a very upset Sid.
2: <laughs> Sean Mooney working so hard in this era. Once again, I must show love to this guy. Um Sid is angry, he points out he was the last man in the Rumble, and points out, quite correctly, as we know, that Hulk Hogan cheated to eliminate him. He, he <laughs> calls it bogus, which is only a Sid thing that I think could possibly happen. Uh, and he says Hogan is rewarded because he is a movie star.
1: Yeah, is it because I'm not a big movie star? Uh, he says you couldn't beat Rick Flair on your best day, but I can.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting, and it's interesting also, once again, we've done this before, to look at the Babyface uh, peanut gallery and see what they say about this, because we will see a clip from the Primetime Roundtable where Gorilla Monsoon will say hilariously that Sid doesn't conduct himself like a gentleman, and just completely bypassing, of course, that uh, Hulk Hogan... Very ungentlemanly eliminated Sid illegally from the Royal Rumble.
1: Yeah, this is some very ugly uh, oh. baby face behavior. Vince Man says he showed us his real feelings. Skrille Monson says he's been out of shape, and in that line. He doesn't conduct himself like a gentleman like Hulk Hogan does. Mm. We've already forgotten the Royal Rumble. How sweet it is to be Hulk <laughs> Hogan.
2: Oh, man. And this is this is very recurring. I will tell you, you watch the TV between here and the heel turn. It will be a lot of uh, finger wagging at Sid. It will be a lot of, oh, well, he just doesn't know how to handle disappointment. And I will say, how do you handle the disappointment of being thrown out third to last in the Royal Rumble and then grabbing somebody who you said was your friend? But uh, we're not talking about that. That's not part of the narrative, I guess. And this is where it gets wild, because we'll see more of this, but they really just doubled down on this, and I don't know if you can convince me, if Hulk Hogan was really upset about the way this storyline was going, you cannot convince me he did not have the backstage stroke to change it, and yet he will double down, double down, double down so now honestly i'm wondering was he actually upset because he thought they didn't go far enough at the royal rumble i don't know it is mystifying as you say
1: yeah i i just i can't i can't make a statement because i don't know what the goal was because hulk hogan is going to leave to be a movie star after this Mm. so you got the heel who was in the right at the royal rumble now being vilified for what happened, but now he's saying there's favoritism, and it, it's because he's a movie star, and I'm not. And Hogan's going to leave after the match to go be a movie star. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so making the heel look like a prophet on top of everything else. <laughs>
2: that's a great point as well you know i don't know it's very strange because i think it is not so dissimilar to things they've done in the past hogan has a friend hogan misbehaves the friend comes after him everyone takes the side of hogan we've seen it many times paul orndorff andre the giant randy savage being the biggest examples but probably even more than that and it's always worked before so for this whole idea that hogan was so upset about the booking i don't know like I can't piece it all together. As you say, a lot of this doesn't seem to make sense when you put all the parts of it together. All we know for sure is this formula is not working in part because they really half-assed it here. Um, You know, Sid and Hogan were not, their friendship was not really shown. Hogan's behavior was especially bad, all this stuff. And fans recognize that and they're not in the mood for it because Hogan in 92 is not Hogan in 87. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. We will just continue down this road, and I don't know how to explain it all.
1: And it was in New York when it happened.
2: Yeah, yeah, no doubt. You know?
1: I think Hulk Hogan was definitely not – I believe, Sid, that Hogan went after Vince and behaved like that. But I don't think it's for the booking. I think it's for how the booking turned out.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know,
1: which is not fair. But, you know – Hogan's idea is that you purposely sabotaged me, which maybe I'll touch on next week, because I never did my Hogan thing. Maybe I'll do it, maybe I won't, but, you know, (laughs) I'll just put it here, and I'll leave this here. It says something about where the relationship with Hogan and McMahon is that it goes from Hogan being booed to, like, you sabotaged me on purpose, like, within half a blink of an eye.
2: It's wild, though, because who will be main-eventing this WrestleMania? Who will be Unbelievably, main eventing the next WrestleMania, you know, something is still there between these guys. Yes, I don't know. It's very bizarre on every level.
1: We are in interesting times, and so uh we'll get more into it with WrestleMania eight because you can't. This is one you can't do the front stage without the backstage because mm. it is what is giving us this. And I know Vince would not want to be in this position, but I think. He, this is another similarity between 92 and 97. Vince McMahon had his back against the wall in both of these eras, and out came some of his best work.
2: Yeah. Not yeah. not
1: what he wanted, what he was forced to give us at times.
2: <laughs> Probably true, but I think also that back against the wall will be the result of that uh, WrestleMania nine main event, so uh, it can go both ways, I think.
1: Yeah. Okay, so I think what's next up is Saturday Night's Main Event.
2: Indeed, February 8th, here we are at, um, you know, the big Saturday Night's Main Event. Sadly, apparently, it can't be found on Peacock, which is horrible, but we have uh, located it on YouTube for you. It's wild, man. I don't know what to make of Peacock because, um, you know, you can get, like, their weird reality shows or whatever the hell they do, but you can't get Saturday Night's Main Event. That just seems wrong to me. (laughs)
1: It's not good so far. Like, I only have Peacock because I'm doing this show, and even I was watching uh, Dan Patrick's show, which covers uh, sports, because I don't watch a lot of sports anymore, but I'm interested in uh, the current uh, playoffs, and and sometimes I can't even, like, it, it takes, like, extra clicks to get not only to the show, but the episode that I want, like, everything is a little bit behind what you would expect it to be they don't have the wwe footage that you would think that they would have um it's not a good look but it, it's, it's just continually what wwe is looking like right now and, you know people right or wrong want to say that oh the wwe is going to sell their uh, uh company and it doesn't matter if that's true or not what what they're referring to is it looks like nobody cares about what's happening that everything's being prepared Uh, for someone else like the books are being prepared for something else Mm. and i don't know it doesn't feel like a company that that is keeping its shine on itself at times
2: yeah it's a frightening thought because all for the you know i don't have a lot of love for vince mcmahon and the way he runs things but man you put the biggest wrestling company in the world in some corporate hands who's gonna mishandle it for a few years and then maybe shut it down like that's frightening to me Uh, I think that has ripple effects that will be enormous for everyone else. And uh, a lot of them don't look too good, you know. So it's a frightening thought. I don't know what to think of all that, but uh, it's definitely um, a concern out there.
1: It's another reason, though, why these losers uh, associated with WCW 20 years ago (laughs) should not have sat back and let Vince McMahon not only buy the company but buy the library because you start to put all the history of pro wrestling in one place, You better hope that one place manages all of it correctly.
2: Yeah, no kidding. Just just for that, yeah, for everything in the vault that could never be seen again if they ever, you know, went away. Like, these guys are the keepers of the footage of history, and even though, you know, they kind of abuse that sometimes, who else is going to have this, like, enormous vault of footage and go to the trouble of, like, you know, restoring it and putting it out there and all this stuff? I mean, like I said, God bless the people who put this stuff on YouTube, but they don't have the resources, you know, they don't have the, the, the stuff at their disposal. I don't know. It's a frightening thought. I'll just leave it at that.
1: Yeah, even with the YouTube videos, those are for people, individuals who enjoyed it and find it, but it's going to die with a generation and another generation is not even going to know it or appreciate it if that if it comes to that. Absolutely. So those are sad things to think about. But uh, all we were saying was Pe- Peacock kind of sucks right now. It needs to get better.
2: <laughs> it does. You know. It does. Oh, my gosh.
1: I took for granted that Saturday Night's Man event would be up there. Like, I can't believe, like, I had to switch networks. Like, I had to go through the trouble. Like, I, already, I already paid money to a, a place I didn't want to give money to just to do this show. Mm. And then I had to do it a second time because they got rid of the place that, I, that they brought me to. And then the new place... Doesn't have the same footage that the old place had. Like, it's hard to adjust it. Like, if I wasn't doing this show, like, they've already pissed me off so many ways that they would have lost me again.
2: <laughs> no kidding, yeah. I'll just say, yeah. Uh, I'll go into it too much, but yeah, Peacock was my only option. I i don't know if I'd be watching any of this stuff anymore, so, yeah. Mm.
1: Yeah. So, this is 92 February 8th, like Miss Van said. We got Vince and Bobby Heenan on call. And I did find myself missing old Jesse Ventura a little bit.
2: Yeah, Vince uh, definitely had his best uh, chemistry with Ventura. So I don't know why they sub- they just should have put Monsoon out here. I don't yes. know why they go with this pairing sometimes.
1: It's not the best pairing because Vincent Vincent Man is just so overpowering and direct. Bobby Heenan wants to go in circles and I take a a walk around the block, and Vincent Man is you know is for that straight that direct shot.
2: Yeah, they're, they're on the extremes of their style um, And there's definitely no one to kind of like reach out and bridge the gap So that's, uh, it's not the best that you can have, I think mm-hmm.
1: And this is going to be an interesting night Because we got, uh, folks remember the controversy Of the Mounty defeating Bret Hart With that fever on a house show of all things And then Roddy Piper comes back um, And now we got the rematch We got Mounty with Jimmy Hart versus Roddy Piper kicking off the show
2: Indeed so. Uh, Jimmy Hart is heavily involved. He's helping the Mountie get a quick advantage, but Piper, uh, he is ready, and he is putting both guys, you know, out the pasture with relative ease. Um, Pretty much the uh, point of this is the Mountie will hit Roddy Piper with that shock stick, that taser, and uh, Piper will be unaffected. He's still wearing his shirt. Um, We will see Piper come back and win. And we will find out that under that shirt, he was wearing a shockproof vest. So um, I don't know if that's the most amazing twist that you can lay out there. But I guess I feel uh, in line with Roddy Piper and kind of the tricks that he likes to pull. So take it for what you will. Um, this wasn't exactly thrilling, but I thought it wasn't bad either. It kind of was what it was.
1: Yeah. I'm finding myself more and more impressed with the longevity of the Mountie because... Yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> This man was in, in in the 80s, was in groups that you think would disappear and never come back. Then he becomes the mounty, a whole new gimmick. Uh, and, he, and and it's a very direct, it's in your face. It's the kind of heel that gets punished, and even heels sympathize. are like, yeah, you know, he hit it coming. He loses the boss man. He goes to jail. And he comes back with the same gimmick and becomes the IC champion, only to be known as the shortest reigning IC champion in two days. And it feels like it might be over again. But this man's going to be a tag team champion and a player uh, for years to come.
2: Yeah, it's very interesting because um, we spent a lot of time, I think rightfully, trashing the uh, Tito Santana pointless reinvention as El Matador and how unnecessary that was and how it kind of maybe took something away from Tito. But here, here you have the anti- Matador, because you took a guy like Jacques Rougeau, who I enjoy, who I thought, you know, did good work, but was really kind of unnotable, and you gave him this gimmick, and for him, honestly, it was perfect, you know? Like, it it elevated him quite a bit, and uh, even when he's losing and kind of getting humiliated, still he is elevated, he is much more memorable. You know, this is one I have to praise, because, you know, I don't know if it's the gimmick so much, or just Jacques finally really coming to his own and uh, playing it so over the top, but it really, really works.
1: Yeah. Um, So I just wanted to shout him out, because he deserves it. And like you said, though, Roddy Piper pulling these tricks. It's also funny that we're going to get a lot of things in the future, like Goldberg spearing Bret Hart and Goldberg being knocked out. So we're being introduced to Roddy Piper as mentor and friend of the Hart family, and he's pulling tricks like this. And so no matter whether that's true or not, the future will show evidence that uh brett might have a little roddy piper in him when it comes to shenanigans
2: indeed i will say uh we used to talk a lot about uh things that are cartoonish or not i would say uh you know if there was anyone who ever wanted to be in a cartoon it was roddy piper going over to the looney tunes or something Mm -hmm. i think he'd love to be there so yeah
1: he's halfway there i think already
2: (laughs) (laughs) and that could be good and that could be bad and i'll just leave it at that and
1: yeah, and we got another man who is about three fourths away there and he's uh we're gonna see a lot of him tonight. That man is Sid Justice. Um <laughs> I don't think he... that's fair
2: to cartoons, to be honest. I don't know what <laughs> cartoon he'd be in. He's not in he's not in that Nickelodeon, like kind of crummy, like nasty boys range. He's not in the like wacky zany Roddy Piper cartoon. Uh he's not in like the G.I. Joe like Hulk Hogan kinda you know cartoon i don't know what cartoon he'd be in but i wouldn't watch it so i'll say that
1: <laughs> yeah uh, he's also not here though either so where is he <laughs> question
2: he's uh, i don't like, know yeah go ahead
1: is he supposed to be like i'm halfway being sincere so that when i betray him or is he just supposed to be obviously like I- i'm faking the whole time
2: The magic of Sid is that he will perform it so poorly that you will never know. (laughs) He is inscrutable in his motives and actions.
1: His words say one thing. His face says another. And then we're going to get a weird moment. So let me go ahead and run through this backstage one. So we can get to another moment where they're making me sympathize with uh, Sid when I don't want to. And they're making Hulk Hogan look like the liar that he is and the whole WWF. But we'll we'll get to that in a moment. Sid first is in the back. He says... The problem is i misunderstood. Uh, I sincerely apologize to Hulk Hogan um, in a very insincere way. But then we're going to shoot the Sean Mooney with Hulk Hogan and Sid. They shake hands. And then Sean Mooney wants to know if everything is all right, blah, 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 blah. And he takes the microphone and puts it with Sid. And then he takes it away from him before Sid can speak.
2: Uh, yeah, Sean Mooney, uh, part of the problem here. Um, you know, we, it must be said, but, uh, what is different from this to, uh, you know, giving Andre kind of a pathetic, uh, backup trophy. Um, you know, it's the same energy though. The leg work is very much not there.
1: Yeah. It's a little on the nose and
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, not for nothing. When would you ever see Sean Mooney or any babyface uh, interviewer do this ever? Like it would never happen. Um, I don't know, you ascribe this just to, uh, you know, Hulk Hogan politics and, uh, maybe he didn't want Sid to talk, you know, within the the storyline or something. I don't know. I don't know what you call this here.
1: I don't know. I think the whole point of it is just to show, is to set up the fact that Sid's gonna walk away... But they're doing it again. Now that, now it's not like the press conference where Sid's out of line. It's like the Royal Rumble where Sid is in line. And again, they brought Sid in to be the next Hulk Hogan, but then they put him against Hulk Hogan, and they made Hulk Hogan the good guy and Sid the bad guy. But they made Sid justified and Hulk Hogan not. Like, I don't know what the hell that they want from me. Because I don't think, I don't think anybody would say, hey, to make me look good, why don't we uh, not put the mic on him and he walks off. And I act like I don't even know that he's not there until the end of the <laughs> promo. It is, I'm befuddled. I know I've seen Sean Mo- Ultimate Warrior taught Sean Mooney how to behave as an announcer, and he this is out of out of character for
0: Sean Mooney.
2: <laughs> Indeed, so I don't know. It is very strange. Like you said, we cannot put these pieces together. I don't think we ever will. Um, but. I don't know. Hulk Hogan is the same guy who ran back with Randy Savage's wife and like Mm. mourned over her body and like (laughs) wouldn't go help Randy Savage. And hey, that worked, you know. So once you go through these moments, I think your sense of reality is just distorted. More and more, I am convinced that Hulk Hogan went back to rant that the fans like booed him and he blamed other people. But I don't know if he understood why. I really don't like it's just very strange. You know, how do you put it all together? Like I said, I don't think you can.
1: Yeah, he remains the best rhetorician in the business as he will later say the big man's on his way to the ring
2: right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, he will be like trying to spin it. So I don't know. It's very strange. Um, you know, it's back to this formula of like, well, maybe the guy had some legitimate grievances, but they were slight enough that we don't think that he should have reacted that way. Um, I don't know. It's very weird. Uh, I would say if I had to guess, surely you would think Sid was already going to turn on him just from, like, the weird look on his face and, like, the way he acts and the way this goes down. But truly, I don't know for sure because it's Sid and I never know. You know, I I read some article and I don't remember who it was who said it, but someone who was, like, part of Creative back in this kind of area. And he always said, like, when you try to explain something to Ultimate Warrior – you never knew if he got it. Like you couldn't tell from his eyes, whether he understood what you were trying to get him to do. And man, it's gotta be the same for Sid. Like, I feel like you would have to explain this storyline and you would just have to cross your fingers and hope that he was going to kind of like know what to do and do the right thing. And uh, did he, I really don't know with the weird look on his face, but that's the vibe I got here.
1: No, that's a great, that's a great comparison. Um, it also sucks that Warrior, he replaced Warrior as soon as we got rid of Warrior, and Warrior's going to replace him as soon as we get rid of shit. I so.
2: know. Like, have <laughs> they ever been seen together? Are they the same guys somehow? <laughs> Maybe. They kind of got the same, like, clueless attitude, so I
0: don't know.
1: Well, uh, when Warrior comes back, he's going to be five foot five. so that might be, if they're the same person. Like, they have more talent than they've ever shown before. So we'll <laughs> see you. Okay, so, I think right here, uh, I also want to make a comment because at the Royal Rumble I saw this thing where Sid stood back while Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair wrestled, and that's such a natural thing to do, but it struck me in my gut that they thought, oh, that kind of shows Sid's a little bit of a coward, or he doesn't want to fight, and he doesn't want to do these things, so I think we might see a little bit of that pattern in that Hogan's going to do some things that could rightfully piss Sid off in the tag match to come. But at the same time, Sid's so quick to fall back and not want to participate and lose his temper and misbehave and whine. So we are seeing – it's like we're seeing a 50-50. Like, oh, my God, the the the, the reveal is – oh, maybe that's it then. Oh, my God, I walked right into it. Okay, so Hogan's leaving after WrestleMania and Sid's leaving after WrestleMania. So that's 50-50. Hey, they're both horrible human beings. We don't really miss them when they're gone. Maybe that's the genius plan behind all this.
2: Ah, uh, the Brock Lesnar-Goldberg um – strategy because that always works so well (laughs) god
1: yeah so let's get into it Uh, this is Ric Flair and the Undertaker versus Hulk Hogan and Sid and for all the things I like about chaos you sometimes lose something because maybe Hogan and Flair's not really hot at this time maybe they're not maybe they are but you really feel like you just had Ric Flair and the Undertaker versus Hulk Hogan and Sid which is box office at this time and you also kind of never had it at all
2: Mm -hmm. (laughs) true more more weirdness of this time like you said it's chaos and you know chaos can be good but it can also let the bad things sneak in because who will show up to this match but brutus the barber beefcake he will uh be back and he's not doing his talk show anymore and now he is hanging around hulk hogan again in his weird barely there pants and i'll just say you, you've had a few moments where you almost sympathize with Sid, and I'll just say this. The smile that Sid gives Beefcake, just so sarcastic and like insincere, is almost enough to make me want to side with Sid here as well.
1: Yeah, it's beautifully historical, too, because you and I said that one of the great punishments when Hulk Hogan was so openly against Randy Savage and so dirty is they eventually he only had one friend left, and it was Brutus the Barber Beefcake. Well, <laughs> here he is years later getting booed at the Royal Rumble and Sid wants nothing to do with him and having no friends and, and lo and behold guess who turns up again
2: <laughs> indeed and let's just all like say a thankful prayer that um Hogan did leave after Wrestlemania 8 because there's one thing that happens when you hang around as Hulk Hogan's friend I think it's only a matter of time before we would have seen Starcade 94 come to life earlier right before our eyes <laughs>
1: God, that's a horrible thought to – and we might would have because he's running out of people to be against him before. Um, I have to admit, though, they got a big ovation when they came out.
2: They did. I mean, not for nothing. Uh, Hulk Hogan it, – it's funny. Hulk Hogan, even at like 50% strength, like at 50%, he was still sitting at the table like with those other guys. Like he was finally at their level, I think. So you cannot discount – Hulk Hogan. This is why you know they will go back to him again and again, and in multiple companies they will just go back to him because this guy laid so many golden eggs, even when he had no business doing so. So you know you cannot discount Hulk Hogan and his popularity.
1: Yeah, I really think that that's almost a bigger indictment of him because people still want to cheer him every time. But yeah, like he's never lost. I guess the '93. We'll talk about it again, but in a flash, in a moment, does he get a reaction. He's still getting a reaction, but he's so stale and so boring, and maybe that's all him, maybe it's part of him, maybe it's part of the storylines, but, like, it's the sustaining it, and it's the staying interested. And I don't know if partly it is because he is, like, he thinks that he's done with pro wrestling and that he's going to be a movie star, and I think the foot is just not on the gas anymore, and he's, you know, you get what you get, a big ovation but where do you go with it i think is is kind of what where we're at now
2: yeah and i'll just say the thing about a big ovation from a live crowd is you don't hear from the people who mm. aren't coming anymore
1: well <laughs> <You> said <know. laughs> that is a great comment and like i have no idea what the ratings are this, this feels like this does not feel like the saturday night's main events of old in some ways
2: no, I think uh, in 91 they had some pretty low ratings, especially during, like, the Slaughter Feud. So uh, they've kind of been shunted aside. I think they might be on a different network even uh, with the Saturday Night's Main Event. Uh, I don't know if this was on NBC. I would have to double-check. But, yeah, there's only one more Saturday Night's Main Event after this, and it is way, way down the line later this year. So we are kind of seeing the end already of this um this way of presentation, which is sad from the history of it, but, you know, it's just a sign of where things are going for the WWF.
1: Yeah, it is. And Again, they, they've earned a lot of it. Now, some of it's unfortunate. A lot of it's earned.
2: They burned that goodwill, step by yeah. step. They burned it.
1: Hulk Hogan's misbehaving at the start of this match. So Sid will start off, and Sid will do, let's say Sid slams someone and, and hip tosses them. Hulk Hogan will come in and do the exact same moves, but do it to both of them, both of the opponents. <laughs> So, like, he's showing Sid up at the very beginning of the match.
2: Yep, this is more baffling uh, attitudes by Hogan. He is showboating. He is acting weird. Um, Every time Sid looks like he's in, like, a tiny bit of trouble, Hogan will, like, rush in and try to save him. He can't stay on the apron. He can't be a good partner. Um, You know, it's just Hogan. And, you know, the complete lack of subtlety is offensive to me as well, because this is this is such a far cry from some of the stuff he's done in the past that we actually praised. Like, this is so obnoxious that you're like, how could you not turn on this guy? You know, there's no subtlety left at all in this.
1: I've been wanting to say that this whole show, but the conversations have weaved otherwise, so thank you for that. It's a lot of Hulk Hogan and a little bit of WWF, because it's like we're getting... With some of these, some of the storylines, we're getting full-on top 80s, like everything Randy Savage, everything Jake, everything Ric Flair, everything Undertaker. But even with Saturday Night's main event, we're getting fast-forwarded versions of storylines. You know, we're getting one third of what we used to would have got to get us where we're going. And that way, you got to be big and obvious and stupid about it. And Hulk Hogan coming and saving Sid on one counts, To me, that's all. That's Royal Rumble offensive in like who is the heel here and who is the babyface.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely, and I think it's just like you said, Hogan knows he's leaving. Um, it's wild, because a little bit after this, and I, it was insane when I watched this in real time, they will just casually mention on commentary, oh, Hulk Hogan is leaving after WrestleMania 8. They will just tell everybody, and it is like not even a thing. So, like, the, the, the foot is not on the gas, like you said, like, this is getting phoned in, On a few different levels, and it is just uh, not what it used to be.
1: Yeah. Oh, my God. And you think it can't get any worse than this. It's weird. Now I'm thinking out loud, but, you know, that kind of 50-50, like, Visitor Man could not be happy with either of them, like, we're going to lose Hogan and I'm going to lose Sid. And what we replaced him with in the main event at WrestleMania, like, oh, you hated this, or this was watered down halfway what it used to be. Well, we we, we leave you we, we leave Hulk Hogan and Sid, and we go to Ultimate Warrior and Papa Shango. Yeah,
2: good lord. Good <laughs> lord. The more I think about it, the more I am pissed that Savage and Flair was not in that main event. Instead, yes, yes we will close on Warrior and Shango, and that, that should tell you all you need. You know, we, we said a lot of good things about 92. I always feel the need to clarify. We're talking about early 92, because I'm not sure what horrors await us towards the end of this year. There will be some good stuff. For sure, but I think uh, we are peaking now, and we are going to be sliding down as we go forward.
1: Yeah. I haven't revisited the middle of this year a lot, so we're going to be in the same boat on that. Okay. And, again, we might end up loving it, but one one conspiracy theory that comes to mind is the way that the new generation could finally replace the 80s is that Hogan's going to be gone, so he's not even getting replaced. Instead, you're going to get savage at a time where they keep weakening him and Ultimate Warrior. And so a savage that they that they start to water down, and an ultimate warrior that's that is the recipe like I don't know if you can replace the eighties with anything unless you bring back the ultimate warrior to be that representation that gets replaced
2: <laughs> i I would have liked to try. I'll just say that
1: <laughs> yeah i but I think that the Hogans will always be popular enough that they would that they that they, that they would be timid about doing it but you put the ultimate warrior especially like i said he's going to be like a foot shorter than he was when he left which makes no sense uh in this world <laughs> and, he, and he still doesn't understand wrestling like it's a lot easier if i'm in charge to go to bret hart and just blow the whole thing up hey, the ultimate is warrior is the choice
2: <laughs> well that's for sure no doubt no doubt
1: um. yeah <laughs>
2: I'd say, but this is a problem, you know. I, like I said, I'm watching in 1999 in WCW, and they still are having this problem. Like they can't get over that hump. It's still Hogan. It's still you know, Flair and all these guys from the old times. So yeah, it is very hard for wrestling to move on from this uh, this era. Um, failing to do so will kill one company in part. Man,
1: that's a lot, and we're we're gonna be here for all of it. Oh, yeah. Right now, though, I had an end moment. Like the. A- this is not the best of television, but the best of television, sometimes you're watching something one way and then they flip it on you. And you're like, oh, my God, it was like that the whole time. And I never saw it. <laughs> well, I had a thought here when Hulk Hogan was misbehaving and doing all this stupid uh, oversh- overshadowing Sid. Nobody breaks up one council unless they're trying to break up a team. And it hit me. Hulk Hogan did not bring Bruce Beefcake to ringside because Sid might betray him. Hulk Hogan brought Bruce Beefcake to ringside because he was going to betray Sid.
2: Ooh, interesting.
1: <laughs> and you know, Lord knows he doesn't want to live – he doesn't want the consequences. So, But, like, why is it that he needs somebody guaranteed at ringside? Like, you can't guarantee Sid's going to turn on him.
2: Right. But right. you can
1: guarantee if you're going to turn on Sid.
2: <laughs> Maybe he uh, was trying to get Sid to betray him by bringing out beefcake. God knows I mm. would take that as a personal insult, so <laughs> – Oh, man. Yeah, this match, it's not, with Flair and Undertaker on one team, I kind of want to like this match. I don't think I really do, because it's kind of ridiculous, and it's a lot of Sid, and he's not good, and it's Hogan, and he's phoning it in, it's all this stuff, but I don't know. Um, Flair gets Hogan down, he puts him in the figure four, uh, but the focus, like, is not on this, like, all the focus on Sid, on the apron, and... He doesn't look like he cares enough, and Vince McMahon will like scold him for that. So I guess he should have been like weeping tears or something because of this figure four. So I don't know. The focus of this match is um is kind of weird. Kind of tells you where everything is going.
1: Yeah, it, it's not a bad match, but it's not it's not a match in my opinion because right. Undertaker, Undertaker and Flair are not agents. They have to get beat up, you know, without being able to do anything anytime that the storyline needs Hogan or Sid doing those things. And they have to have the advantage any time that Sid's not tagging in. So it's not even according to a back-and-forth match. It's according to where the Hogan-Sid dynamic is.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely so. Uh, We get our big moment. Hogan crawls over to Sid. Sid doesn't try to tag in. Um, Sid, (laughs) I'll say this. I'm pretty sure he fires a booger at Brutus Beefcake. (laughs) And man, like, Sid was on a campaign to try to get me to like him here from the way he was treating Beefcake, (laughs) so I guess I'll give him credit for that at least. Um,
1: A hundred years ago, did I ask you about Beefcake or Sid?
2: Oh, God, maybe. I don't know. You were giving me some terrible, like, devil's choices after a while, but I'd go with Sid. If I didn't say so then, I'll say so now. I'll go with Sid, and that says a lot right there. That
1: says a lot, but it it was emphatic, so...
2: (laughs) There's no question. I don't know if you could put someone up against Beefcake, unless it was some, like, real-life horrible person. But, yeah, just in terms of, like, what wrestler do you like better, Beefcake might be the bottom.
1: Mm. I hate the fact, too, that this match was a DQ.
2: (laughs) It's so ridiculous, because, yeah, Sid walks out, um, and it doesn't matter, because Hogan is just, like, no-selling flair, and it's like he's going to win anyway, which is so dumb. And I'll say when Sid walks out, the reaction is not even very big. You know, when Hogan came out, like they gave him a good pop. But now, like, I don't know if the fans even really care about this very much, you know, and then it's a stupid DQ and Beefcake runs in the ring, but he doesn't even do anything because his face is still broken, I think. And like, what's the point of any of it? And Hogan's just beating up Flair and Undertaker. And, man, it's making me regret all the praise I gave to this because this is about as dumb as anything we've seen.
1: Yeah, it's the poor booking, though, because the best you can say is, like, they don't like each other and they shouldn't be around. Like, you can get very intellectual and be like, well, I don't know they should have left during a match. He had a commitment. But beyond that, it's like they don't like each other and they don't treat each other well. I kind of just want them both to be apart. And you could also – I'm not a fan necessarily of both of them personally, but, like, you could be like – I still like Hogan and Sid, but I I actually just don't want them to be together. I don't think they get along. I don't think they like each other.
2: Right, yeah. <laughs> they had disagreement. They were both uh, acting a little inappropriately <laughs> at times, mostly Hogan. But, you know, and, uh, yeah, they should just go their separate ways, like – This is not so bad that they need to have, like, a blood feud about it, you know? Hogan didn't even need the help is, like, the real kicker here. It's not like they left him and he got beat up and, like, destroyed and get to the hospital or something. Like, nothing even happened because Sid left. But still, Hogan will, of course, uh, turn it into a vendetta and uh, it will be as lukewarm as you can imagine.
1: This is why we do these long, long, long journeys in the Legacy series because neither of us are hugging fans and we came in expecting to be like oh he was overrated all the time and one of the first credits i think we gave him is andre would put a whooping on him and throw him over the top rope like it was nothing yeah he would be vulnerable back then and like i already don't care about this stupid feud i'm not going to get into it again but like every single stupid thing that they've done has led me not to care and not to know who is bad and who is good but then the, the icing on the cake is the fact that Sid walked away and cost Hulk Hogan nothing. If anything, he gave him more glory because Hulk Hogan would have beat The Undertaker and, and Ric Flair by himself. So, like, what did Sid even do to Hulk Hogan? And Hulk Hogan took... I know Hulk Hogan pulled Sid over the top rope and the a runway cost him the world title. <laughs> Sid walked away so that Hulk Hogan could demonstrate that he could beat both people by himself.
2: Yeah, yeah. Sid is the one who had something to lose here. Hogan clearly had nothing to lose. And, uh... Uh, yeah, nothing about this works, and we're just on the road to this really crappy main event, so that's unfortunate, and in a time with so many good things, that uh, we have this crummy, crummy main event to work with.
1: Yeah, it's just bad, and then, it looks like if they had not left, we were going to get 1993 and 1992, because we're teasing Beefcake <laughs> in the ring, and that they might hit him in the face after the accident, um, and that will be the 1993 angle for WrestleMania nine. so... Looks like we already had that in store. The only thing I liked when Hulk Hogan cleared the ring is that he clotheslined the Undertaker over the top rep. So Undertaker does his signature over the top rep and lands on his feet. And while he's doing that, Ric Flair does his signature face plop at the same time. And that was that was nice.
2: <laughs> yeah, two guys who, uh, in spite of it all, are really doing well. Flair and Undertaker. Got to yep. praise them both.
1: <laughs> That's the worst part. This was insulting to them. You should have had them against Like, mid-card or low-card people doing this nonsense.
2: Yeah, where was the natural disasters again or something? (laughs) Like, that's about the right place for him.
1: That is perfectly said. So here we are, ladies and gentlemen. We have arrived at our WrestleMania main event. You already weren't liking Hulk Hogan. We give you no reason to. You were liking Sid. We made sure you can't. So now you got a main event where you don't get to like either of them.
2: Yep. After the match, Sean Mooney will scold Sid backstage Sean Mooney really taking notes from Gene Okerlund tonight, I think. Um, So now Sid gets to talk. You know, he didn't get to talk before, but now he does. Uh, He says, with a friend like Hogan, I don't need enemies, which is very insightful, especially for a guy like Sid. Um, Sid talks about WrestleMania, (laughs) and uh, I'm amazed his push wasn't killed right there when he said WrestleMania. (laughs) um, (laughs) Oh, man.
1: This is a fairly good promo as you said though and that he cuz he says to Shawn Mooney now you want to talk to me you know <laughs> so again like what am i supposed to take from this and then like he said he says I don't turn my back on friends because I don't need any and I don't need enemies with friends like Hulk Hogan mm-hmm.
2: by sid standard it's a it's an amazing promo i'll say that if every word wasn't written out beforehand i'll eat my hat but uh he does say <laughs> um jack Tunney shows favoritism towards hogan he just generally acts goofy as Sid does grits his teeth looks constipated you know the act so so yeah they are now on track apparently to face each other
1: and we end on i am the man who rules the world which i think shows a difference Sid than justice will be served
2: <laughs> yes yes i believe it does um such a weird Uh-oh. line yeah. but we'll leave it there
1: Uh, Gene Arklund is with Hulk Hogan and uh, Brutus DeVara Beefcake as they have their say as well.
2: (laughs) Oh my, Uh, Hogan says that Sid knows nothing about friendship, and Hogan should maybe check himself as he wrecks himself here. (laughs) Uh, He says Sid turns not on him, but on the little Hulkamaniacs. so still using that shield. And hey, here's a little Hulkamaniac, Brutus Beefcake, Uh, he's here. He says his face was destroyed and he says <laughs> i don't even know how this came up but he says hogan lay in bed next to him and pumped blood into his veins and this is why you cannot like brutus beefcake it's why i cannot like him because here's a guy who had this genuinely like very difficult situation and and if there was ever a time for him to, like, actually get sympathy, this would be it. And yet he just he just tells lies about it, you know? He, like, cashes in on it for a <laughs> stupid comment that makes no sense. And, you know, it's baffling. And yet it is so on point for Brutus Beefcake that I don't even know what to do with it.
1: This is one of the worst friendships in the history of professional wrestling. Oh, it's terrible. Because you get it in a way that if you're Hulk Hogan or someone who's on top of the world... Maybe you can never be friends long-term with Randy Savage or anyone who has it. Because there's going to be a conflict about they're good enough to want to be it. Ric Flair was blessed beyond measure with an Arn Anderson who just did not want to ever try to be that guy. And just, you know, Ric Flair was that guy and he had his role. He was the enforcer. He was a tag wrestler. But for Hulk Hogan, he doesn't have an Arn Anderson. So he has a guy who is so clearly beneath him that even if he wanted to betray him he couldn't (laughs) and so we all have to entertain brutus beefcake as a tag partner in a pay-per-view main event and we know he's not but this is the world that hulk hogan creates where he betrays everybody and he can be sure of nobody and so you get the most lopsided if I, i i will say this and i mean this with all of my heart If you replaced Brutus Beefcake with Jimmy Hart and Jimmy Hart was tagging with Hulk Hogan at SummerSlam and now back, it would be one notch above Brutus Beefcake.
2: (laughs) You know, by God, I think you're right, because at least I know what Jimmy Hart's going for. Even as like an insufferable baby face, I like kind of get Jimmy Hart. Brutus Beefcake, I don't know, man. Like, I don't know. Something's going on there. I don't know what, though.
1: At least you know what Jimmy Hart is. Like, the whole thing would be like, oh, my God, they're going to get Jimmy Hart in the ring and hurt him. Like, we got to pretend. Bruce Beefcake is another Jimmy Hart, but we got to pretend like he's something else. Mm. He's the worst promo maybe in the history of the business. Like, he just got so (laughs) weird. Like, he's laying in bed with me and pumping blood. Like, you know, when you you do a promo, you're painting a picture of... And I don't yet know what you're going to say, so my, I have to lend you my mind and imagination. And Beefcake can't get you where he's going. He, he You end up, like, three streets off even where Beefcake thought he was taking you.
2: <laughs> that is so well said. Uh, it is just – it's baffling, um, you know. And I'll just say, you say he was so low that he couldn't betray him, and yet I will draw uh. your eyes again to starcade 94, the travesty of all travesties and – uh the world Hulk Hogan creates when he has no filter is, is a terrifying place.
1: <laughs> oh my God. And when I go, we did, we did our time in WCW <laughs> already. And this is where I give props to you. Cause I said, I'm not fully on board with like Hogan's responsible for all this. I don't know what he is and what he isn't. But when I see this promo, I start to go to your side because like you said, he's using the same old rhetoric about you betrayed the Hulkamaniacs. And then he says, all I saw was those stone cold eyes. And that is another Hulk Hogan trick where he picks one thing that was irredeemable the whole time. So deep down, he (laughs) knew, like, this person's not good. They're not right, which also means he was never really betrayed. He knew what was happening, but we'll put that to the side. But he is playing the same old Hulk Hogan rhetorical games that he played throughout his whole career.
2: Mm, At least Sid is not stinky. Like some (laughs) others have been, yeah, no, it's nuts to me because, like I said, I just if Hulk Hogan was really mad about this, he could have changed the course of this. I really believe so. You know, he had the stroke uh, clearly because he's still in the main event despite like all his misbehaving and stuff. So he could have changed this. He could have acted differently. Best case scenario, he just didn't care enough to change the direction. He just phoned it in. But I'm still not convinced he didn't purposefully double down on this stuff just because he thought it was close enough to what worked in the past that it would just work if he went at it hard enough. So I don't know. Something happened here and it was not good.
1: Yeah, and if you're Hulk Hogan and you get past the being booed that night, let's say that you really believe WrestleMania 8 is your last match and you're going to Hollywood and you don't need this anymore. Um, you probably make just as much or more money for ending the show with Sid as you get for wrestling the world t- the world champion in the middle of the card. So mm-hmm. he's probably getting at least as much money as he would have got from wrestling Flair, if not more. And he's gone, you know. And so, like, does he care if he leaves like at Andre the Giant peak levels or where he's at? I don't know.
2: Right? Yeah, I, I have no doubt that Hogan got the biggest payout from WrestleMania Eight, regardless. Yeah. So you know, the, it is what it is.
1: It is what it is. So uh, speaking of it is what it is, uh, the Beverly Brothers are up next, and they're against a new team, a new undefeated team in the WWF: Hacksaw Jim Duggan and Sergeant Slaughter.
2: Or Sergeant Slaughter. He went from one bad to another bad. Um, what a what a what a sad thing for a guy who I think is pretty talented in his way, who had some very good moments in his career. Uh, comes back, gets stuck with one of the worst gimmicks I've ever seen. Uh, survives that, sort of, like, kind of gets destroyed, but, you know, he's still here. What does he have to do next? Now he is the Brutus beefcake to Jim Duggan's Hogan. That's Ugh. just, that's a sad day.
1: And you know that's the thought, too, is that somewhere from the mid-card, Hacksaw is, is emulating Hogan and having his own Hulk Hogan career and nobody even knows what's going on.
2: <laughs> I feel like this is Slaughter's penance, like, for his betrayal of America, is <laughs> now he has to be subservient to Jim Duggan.
1: I think I honestly would rather be a wrestler who never gets paid as much as Slaughter got paid during that time, never becomes a world champion, than be Sergeant Slaughter and be a world champion, and have this program, this gimmick, this run, because he's not Hacksaw. He could be interesting, and he has been relegated to just this nonsense for so long that I don't know if you can wipe off what is on him right now.
2: No kidding. I, I don't think he'll do anything of relevance. Like, soon soon enough, he'll be backstage, and then later he'll be, like, what, a commissioner or something, and, like, mm. all these other roles. So I think this is about it for Sergeant Slaughter in any kind of, like, in-ring capacity.
1: It's, it's bad, and the worst thing that ever happens to you is a world title run.
2: Woof, <laughs> yeah, no. I'll, I'll never forget sticking that chin out and talking about Thanksgiving dinner and whatever like <laughs> garbage was going on there
1: that, that that's the whole like really in the greatest scheme of things is the problem the Zeus Hogan Zeus the Hogan Slaughter like they created such a hole in the ground and they have shot out of it with with these amazing characters but like if you create the, the deepest hole that you possibly can in the ground, and you shoot up, or it doesn't mean you're out of the hole. It means you might be like halfway or three-fourths of the way out of the, the place you dug for yourself.
2: Yeah, I mean, the sad thing is, for all the good things they're doing, they're not going to regain their popularity, and then they're still going to have some stuff like this and the main event, which we just trashed and all this stuff. So definitely some signs of problems and definitely some trust broken with the audience.
1: <laughs> Who has to watch this match? Who, If you're listening to this right now, and we have not talked about Hacksaw and Slaughter versus the Beverly Brothers. Who do you think wins the match, folks?
2: <laughs> I don't even want to spend any more time on this except to say uh, I look forward to the Beverly Brothers having better opponents than they've gotten so far. Because I will yeah. have good things to say about them in the future. But right now, what's the point?
1: Yeah, Luke Butch, Slaughter, and Hacksaw so far.
2: Ugh, that's a rough run. Uh, eventually they're gonna wrestle the Steiners, and that that'll be a lot of fun, I think. So we'll look for forward that. to.
1: Steiners, Head Shrinkers, Beverly yeah. Brothers, Quebecers. It's gonna be a, it's gonna be an interesting run coming. Sure,
2: up. sure, yeah. Money Yank even been uh, on a mission. I have a, a, a yeah. soft spot for. We'll get into some better tag days as we go along here. Ooh, yeah, Quebecers. If you said that, then that that's what to really look forward to. Yeah.
1: Absolutely uh jake robertson in the back we do have our main event coming up savage and jake again uh jake roberts says sweet elizabeth he's talking about the slap in the face he says you know what some things are worth
2: doing twice <laughs> this is another i've talked before about how much i enjoy wrestlers who have different goals than you would expect and jake i think is a master of that because what he really wants is to kind of pursue his pleasures As a face or a heel, you know, he'll kind of pursue the things which uh, make him feel warm inside, and those can be very disturbing.
1: And these guys remain so great that I don't know if the promo we're going to see from Savage next is Jake having Savage so spun around or Savage spinning himself around. But he's going to talk about all these things that have been done that might make you a little insane, but then say he's not insane, then says maybe I am insane. Time to find out how insane I am. (laughs)
2: Uh, You praise Savage being on an all-time run, and I think that's about right. You know, even with, um, uh, you know, he's at a point which at one point I was sort of, I won't say dreading, but, you know, he's got the full bodysuit and the hat and the tassels. He's so covered up, like, you can almost not see Randy Savage at times. And yet, he is on uh, such a great run right now that you really, um, I can't speak against it. I wouldn't even try. It's just great stuff.
1: He's on such a run that before this episode is over, there was a moment where I said, Randy Savage might be one of the greatest storytellers of all time. And
2: sure.
1: that's yeah. still to come. We're already done two classics with uh, Jake and Savage and Savage is not done for the episode. So just beautiful stuff. Uh, so what we saw was, you know, how so Madison square garden now it's on TV. So Savage and Jake, again, kind of finishing up where they left off.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, this one uh, is a bit shorter. Uh, I think this one may be cut down for time, but uh yeah, it's still very hot. Uh, Savage, super hot, out of the block. Uh, Jake kind of gets mauled in the early going. He's even kind of bleeding from the bridge of his nose in a time where people uh, don't really bleed. So so definitely a hot feeling around this one.
1: Yeah, it, it's quick, but, you know, some of the same sequences. Sometimes Jake goes to the DDT and Savage will grab the ropes. This one, he throws them over the top rope. Mm. And, again, it's one where Savage is going to win the match, but maybe not the war because you think for five seconds that maybe Savage just won the war this time, and it's over, but we're going to find out uh, much differently with something that happens, I think, at the end of the show and then footage that will carry on over after the show goes off the air. Mm,
2: Indeed. And, yeah, I mean, this is definitely the point where you could tell they have fully switched to the um, alternate plan for WrestleMania. Like, whatever they had in mind before is definitely uh, put off now. This... this saturday's main event is very pivotal in shifting that over
1: yeah and it's so weird because historically they were doing such big things but man i could not be happier with how the show with how most of this turns out
2: yeah absolutely i think uh they actually came out with some incredibly good stuff main event put aside um you know i don't know if the alternate would have been better but what we got was pretty damn good so i'm not gonna complain too much about it
1: Yeah, and it will I'll get into this On the funeral parlor But If Jake Roberts Has to leave the WWF There is just something Spiritually correct In The Undertaker Being the man who does it Yeah Because Jake Roberts Has been on this tear That has been supernatural Has been otherworldly And he's also the man Who helped The Undertaker Find his psychology And we know The Undertaker is going to live forever and be a 30-year talent or something like that. And I just wonder, it's such a low-key moment in The Undertaker's come-up, but it's his original babyface turn. And there's something about vanquishing Jake Roberts, who is the closest thing to where The Undertaker comes from and is going, that you wonder, does he take a little bit of Jake Roberts with him as Jake goes?
2: Yeah, no, interesting thought. Um, this is where we're going to start, uh, kind of the three-pronged great WrestleMania stories coming up with WrestleMania 8. I think, uh, you know, the main event is trash. We already talked about it. But there are three great stories going to WrestleMania 8, and that that's something very good to see because uh, definitely we've seen some WrestleManias that could not say anything like that. So some very uh, gratifying stuff that we're going to talk about here in the rest of our bonus footage. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you did a great job here, man. This is gratifying is the right word. I don't care what the main event is. If you're not doing the Legacy series or some other show, you can watch the rest of it and just not watch the main event. But,
2: <laughs> You'd be wise to do so.
1: <laughs> yeah. These three stories that we get, though, you have no right complaining when you get three stories like
2: this. Absolutely so. So we kick off our first one, which has already been touched on. Uh, we see, and this is great. They showed this kind of on uh, other, other shows after the fact, but this is kind of like, secret post-show footage from mm-hmm. saturday night's main event complete with like um commentary that sounds like it's not meant to be heard because like it starts out randy savage he's leaving the ring after the main event we have Vince man who's like talking to the truck it's very informal um and then then we see jake behind the curtain and he is going to hit Savage and Liz with that chair as they come back through the curtain it's a great setting it's a great shot we almost never see in this era Uh, stuff from this perspective so it feels very fresh very iconic he's about to swing that chair and he is stopped by of all people the undertaker the undertaker won't let him swing that chair savage comes through the curtain he sees what's up he attacks jake as well we see jake writhing on the floor and who is standing above him as they once stood over the ultimate warrior undertaker and paul bearer are there grimly looking down at him what is happening how has this occurred this is a great segment if you've never seen this do 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 make the time to check it out
1: yeah you talk about the chaos and the spilling over we have now spilled over to the point that you don't know what's going on the first comment um uh is bobby Heen saying thanks for hogging the whole show the vincent man and vincent i thought it was one of your worst efforts yet <laughs> <laughs>
2: Oh, that's amazing. I forgot. And I'm
1: like, that. what the hell am I listening to? And then Vince is talking to the truck. But this is, oh, God, the subtle difference between we're now doing stories that are a little bit on the edge or a little bit this versus the wrestlers are so over the top and out of control that it's your job to follow them and you can't help it where they go. Mm. So, like, Jake Roberts just lost a matchup that in any world, in any angle, Savage has beaten you enough the feud is over like go home in the show and that's it but we're not in an era where people say no like jake might be the the spearhead of all of this because he's the kind of guy that once he got betrayed just said you know what i'm going to expose everybody and do whatever i want So he's one of the guys that kicked this off and now he's not through he is going to hit the first person that walks through the curtain he doesn't care if it's liz or savage and apparently oddly (laughs) the undertaker does (laughs) (laughs)
2: Yeah, and I'll talk about this as we talk about the funeral parlor, too, which we're about to do. I I don't know how I feel about... I never understood. I've watched this angle multiple times, and I've never understood why Undertaker changes over here. And I guess that's a weakness in the story, but maybe maybe it's not. The fact that it is mysterious... I don't know. Something about it still kind of works, but still, it, it bothers me a little every time... And I don't know what to think about it, so I don't know what what's your thought on that?
1: I think it bothers me, and it doesn't, or it should, and it does not. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I I think it'd be worse if Undertaker just came out and said, "I am a protector of women," or <laughs> Randy Savage is my friend. You know, there's something about the Undertaker. I've been waiting and waiting and waiting to find out when we find out that the Undertaker is something specific.
2: Yeah,
1: you know, such a great character. That, honest to God. Like, when Bret Hart does an inverted atomic drop on The Undertaker, I don't know, does that hurt him especially so, like, other wrestlers, or does that not affect him at all? Like, I don't know if his body's alive. I don't know what what he feels. I know I'm now being told that the urn has something to do with him. But, like, so far, I had known nothing about The Undertaker too specific. He's making certain moves. He became a WWF champion. Did he want to be the champion? I don't know. And this is another one that I don't know if I fully want to know. And I could see myself condemning this that you know and saying like, oh, it lacks something, but I don't know if it does because does he have to reveal why he why he did it? And I in my mind, I partly think that it has nothing to do with Randy Savage or Liz. Mm-hmm. Whatever it has to do with. It has to do with Jake Roberts, and I don't know if they're just done with Jake Roberts. Like, again, to me, there are two people who represent a certain vibe in this company, and maybe The Undertaker's decided there should only be one. I don't know. Maybe it's something about turning face. I don't know, but, like, I don't know if I want them to be specific about it, and that's against what I usually would say, but I don't know that I want it.
2: Yeah absolutely so um you could definitely theorize about it it definitely could be that there's only room for one of us who is like this in this town it could be like we said jake roberts he will lose and lose and lose to randy savage and he will kind of shrug it off at some point does the undertaker think hey this maybe this guy's a loser you know maybe i need to do something else uh is it maybe this may be my favorite one. Do, at some point, The Undertaker and Paul Bearer realize that Jake Roberts' darkness is a different kind of darkness than theirs? Because their darkness is kind of pure, you know, in what it is. And Jake Roberts, his is kind of sick in what it is. They're not really exactly the same kind of creature, so at some point maybe do does undertaker realize this and decide he needs to go a different way or does paul bearer realize this he wants to go a different way i don't know you could come up with i think any number of theories about this we'll never know for sure and yet somehow it just works like somehow i'm always compelled by this
1: i love that last one that's kind of where i would go and what i would think because we were so harsh on the baby faces when they had the, um, I think there was a bachelor party or whatever it was, the, mm. the wedding thing, yep. ceremony, and they did not invite Jake Roberts. But if you look back on that, they invited some of the most irritating, Like they were, they didn't really <laughs> discriminate with who they invited.
2: Bobby Heenan
1: like, was there, yeah. Bo- yeah, Bobby Heenan was there. So what does it say? Like, if you don't want to be sympathetic to Jake, like we've already done that. What does it say that anybody, anybody, they'll invite weasels, but they won't invite the snake? Like, What does that tell you that they sense and know about Jake Roberts? Mm. And how maybe it's the same case, like you're saying, that The Undertaker and Paul Bearer, as you said, like we have an authentic darkness. It's a darkness that can be cheered or booed, can be good or bad. But there's something sick about this man. And either we, we got to get away from it or we're just going to do this before like he's going to run out of people like sooner or later he's going to hit liz or savage he's going (laughs) to settle what he needs to settle and eventually he's going to come for us
2: yeah no that's an interesting one too because what did jake say you know to the warrior when uh when when he betrayed him you know he said uh oh you shouldn't have trusted me basically so how long uh, undertaker and paul bearer Going to trust him. They've got ears. Paul Bear is a smart guy. He's listening. He knows what's going on. How long is he going to let this uh, snake ride on his back before he gets bit? And if you decide to bite first, then uh hey, you know what? That just means you're savvy. That just means you were paying attention.
1: Yeah. I think Jake's the kind of guy that you share secrets with, even though you know eventually he'll use them against you.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And we know so little about The Undertaker. How much have they shared with him already? And how much do they risk sharing and having outed later if they don't put an end to this? So you can make any speculation that you want, But the fact that it's done, I think in some ways it might say more than about Jake Roberts than it does The Undertaker.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, this is definitely not about Savage. It's not about Liz. It's not about uh, any of that. It is all about Jake and Undertaker from my perspective.
1: Yeah, it moves us to something that is so beautiful, because if if it felt eerie to see these two come together, what does it feel like to see them fall apart?
2: Mm-hmm. And I love this, too, because we're going to go to the funeral parlor, and the first thing Jake is going to ask is he wants to know where the Undertaker stands after stopping him from attacking savage and liz and that alone what a wonderful detail because it's not like undertaker attacked jake all he did was stop him from taking an action and jake wants to know where they are like maybe they are still together maybe undertaker just didn't want him to do that specific action you know he wants them to move on together or something it could be any number of things and they are treating it in a complex way so i love that
1: I honestly believe they could have told him if they had been sincere. Cause I think he can detect it. You know, you would have put harm on Liz or you would have put harm on Savage, but they didn't see it coming to torture somebody to do what we do. They need to see it coming like that. You need to tie them down. You need to, you need to take your time. And I think if they were sincere, Jake would leave just as happy as he, as, as he, as he was. Sure. But you're I, right. Yeah. He wants to know, have you crossed that line from which, like, you and I can't be on the same stage anymore.
2: I think they even could have told him, as you said, they have to be sincere. I think they even could have told him, hey, we're done with Savage and Liz. Yeah. Like, we've done too much. Like, it's we, we, we played the game out. The game's over. Let's go torture someone else. And Jake would have been like, oh, yeah, okay, you're right. I can see that. You know, let's start a new game. It'll be more fun. Like, I think they could have told him any number of things and stayed together. So it's going to be a very deliberate choice. For them to break up here. And I think that's great.
1: It is, man. Jake Roberts says, I'm not here to be judged by you. I need to know which side of the river he stands on. Mm-hmm. And, man, then Paul Barry is going to give us this wonderful... The things that you know is coming, but you still pop for it. It's like, why don't you ask him yourself? And Jake Roberts makes the mistake of looking towards the curtain. Mm-hmm.
2: Yes, yes, so good. And yet... I love that before Undertaker, like, he doesn't touch him. He doesn't do anything. He comes up, and Jake whirls around before Undertaker gets to him. So, mm. Jake, he, he he figured it out before, you know, anything. Who knows what might have happened, but uh, Jake is savvy enough to be ready for the Undertaker's tricks.
1: Absolutely. This is – I'm going to pause real quick, and then I'll, I'll, we'll hit play again. But we're going to get the funeral parlor again later on this show. And how bankrupt – was brother love's show in comparison? Like mm-hmm. the funeral parlor to me is already historically good in WWF. Oh
2: yeah, I mean as good as anything we've seen. Have we even seen uh, another show like this that was on this level? We missed a lot of the original Piper's Pit, unfortunately. So maybe you can say that, but that's a totally different kind of thing, anyway. You know, it's only uh, similar on the surface. So I don't know if anything is as good as the funeral parlor in this particular way.
1: I don't hear people talk about it that much, but to me, it is the most wonderfully WWF thing I can imagine.
2: Mm, sure, I think just the fact that it came in this era, where a lot of people had already kind of drifted away, you know, um, it it just I think it's timing more than anything else. You know, it doesn't have that like Jannetty through the window moment that maybe you can look back on. Although I swear to God, that's the only thing that mm. ever happened on the 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 barbershop that was worth seeing. Um, But, yeah, the funeral parlor is amazing. I love it. It's one of my favorites.
1: Yeah. So, Jake and Undertaker are going to face each other. We're going to get one of those signature Undertaker things, which is a short response. Yep,
2: yep. Jake demands to know. Undertaker has to decide what side he's on. Undertaker will look down, will look up, He will just say two words, not yours.
0: Hmm.
2: And something about it works, you know. We will never know the full story. Of why he's no longer on Jake's side, but he makes it very clear, and uh, and it's a very nice moment, I think.
1: Yeah, maybe he answered your question after all, you know. <laughs> it's not about Savage, it's not about Liz, it might not even be about me, but it's like I know I know one thing right now, and where I know where I don't stand, and it's, and that's with you.
2: Yeah, I, he makes it very clear. I think that has nothing to do with anybody else in the world except Jake Roberts.
1: Yeah. And Jake, at some point, one has to start asking themselves what they might be doing wrong.
2: <laughs> you know, for some people, that's true. For Jake, I don't think. Like, it's his goal, surely. Yeah. You know? Like, his whole thing is trust me, he wants you to trust him so he can betray you. He doesn't really want to have these relationships. So, I think Jake is getting everything he wants out of all this.
1: Oh, yeah. You feel no anxiety. Like, it feels like he is. Just as happy to hear one answer or the other.
2: <laughs> yeah, he just wants to know. Like, just put it out there. You know, should I stab you in the back or should I stab you in the front? Like, you know, <laughs> either way, this was what's going to happen. So we just got to know which is which.
1: It's going to be the front and it's going to be another historical. Like, we're already seeing historical interviews on the interview show. But this is like the second or third, third historical uh, fight that we're going to see. And it, it 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 is beautiful in its execution.
2: Sure, yeah. I mean, we've had Hogan Flair facing down on this show and hitting Undertaker, and he just keeps coming. And we've had um, Warrior getting locked in the coffin, and everyone has to panic and try to get him out. We have all these iconic moments. And now we have this one. And, man, people ought to talk about some of the stuff we're talking about just the way they talk about that barbershop window, in my opinion. But yes. uh, we get Jake... He will smash Undertaker's hand inside the coffin and he will trap him there. He will shut that lid on his hand and latch it. And as Undertaker is trapped, Jake will DDT Paul Bearer as Paul Bearer squeals. And what does he say? Oh, what are you doing? You know, it's a great (laughs) moment. It's very chaotic. Uh, Jake beats him with a chair. Uh, Undertaker, this is great. He keeps getting back up. He's dragging the casket after jake like he's freaking michael myers jason Mm Voorhees, some kind of monster jake is hitting him he keeps coming jake calls him a freak jake did all of this and still eventually he has to be the one who like flees backstage to get away from this scenario it's amazing like this is so good everyone has to watch this
1: one thing i almost never do when i grade papers is give someone a 100 because What is the perfect essay or the perfect short story? You know, like if I give it maybe a 97, you know, it's just like it's not 100 because it's just it's not income. It's this segment is 100. It's 100 points out of 100. It's perfect. The way Paul Bearer starts, the way Jake starts, the way The Undertaker comes from that already classic place of being inside of that casket. The way that the Undertaker gets in front of Jake Roberts, that has to be the thing that pisses him off because why does a man who lurks in the shadow and lives on his belly and lives in deceit, why is he all of a sudden demanding that we have to know where someone stands right now? Because someone got in front of him. Like he is not directing traffic anymore. He is traffic being directed. And you want to know an amazing thing. It takes like ten seconds when the Undertaker says not yours the Undertaker is no longer directing traffic it is Jake Roberts who points at the casket and has the Undertaker lift the casket like he's making a point about it he's not making a point he is taking over traffic and he shuts it on the Undertaker's hand the classic DDT on Paul Bearer and then the most beautiful thing whoever I don't care if it's Bruce Pritchard, I don't care if it's Vince McMahon I don't care who it is they are beautiful in this moment Whoever decided Jake Roberts is going to put a hurting on The Undertaker, and The Undertaker's going to get up and drag the casket and take a little more ground, take a little more ground. Eventually, they're not even on the set anymore. He walks Jake Roberts all the way to the curtain while never having offense on Jake Roberts, while getting beat down by Jake Roberts. But Jake Roberts still has to flee the set. And somehow, both men have had iconic moments They've lost nothing. Jake Roberts has been completely Jake Roberts, and The Undertaker has been completely The Undertaker. This is flawless, in my opinion.
2: It's incredible. I love it. And I love it even more because Jake is so ready to play his new game, and yet he's finally playing a game with a guy who I'm not sure if he has his own games or if he's just immune to games or what, but, man, like, this is the wrong guy to sit down at the board with like, like this is a mistake that it's a tragedy that Jake will be gone after WrestleMania eight. But kind of like you said, if it had to happen, like what a guy to put him out, you know, if I were Jake and I'm trying to play a game and I come with the undertaker and he just annihilates me, then maybe I do leave, you know, maybe I got to quit. Um, you know, that's not really what happened, but we can at least, uh, kind of play it that way.
1: Yeah, I even see in my mind, this is how good the storytelling is and how good Jake is. Maybe Jake wins the feud, because mm. with, with Randy Savage, we always talked about Savage wins the matches, Jake wins the war, where the Undertaker is going to have this kind of legacy. that's going to be he doesn't just beat his opponent, he snatches their soul, and so in a way... The defeated becomes a part of the Undertaker. And the weird thing is the Undertaker is going to be more babyface than heel. Like he is he was so shortly a heel before this babyface run that's gonna stretch out. But again and again he's gonna be haunted by demons. He's gonna turn heel at times when it seems like he's just a straightforward babyface. So I could honestly see in some of his poor decisions that come later. Like, you snatched Jake Roberts' soul. You got a portion of Jake Roberts inside of your soul now, and that portion is going to torment you from within.
2: Yeah. No, it's, um, it's the start of something incredible because, yeah, we've had this uh, year and a little bit of change of Heal Undertaker. It's been great. It's been something very specific. But now, yeah, we're, like, transitioning into what I think The Undertaker is going to be for most of his career And it's gonna be, it's just something real special, I think.
0: Yeah,
1: this is this is top shelf, and I would be excited on any era to be able to talk about something like that. But we're about to move to something that is as different as it can be from this storyline and is just as good.
2: (laughs) And we're gonna do that one more time again um, before before it ends. So yeah, like like I said, the three pronged great story is going to wrestlemania 8 is nothing to look down at like there's some great stuff coming up here
1: absolutely so we got the move was it going to be savage jake flair hogan now it's going to be uh jake and the undertaker but we're moving into savage flair and liz and rick flair is going to be as rick flair as rick flair can be in the segment to come there are rumors floating about they have made it all the way to the WWF magazine. There, long before there was Elizabeth and Randy Savage, there was Elizabeth and Ric Flair. So Gene Okerlund is going to uh, on March seventh intrude upon Ric Flair's dressing room, and he's going to try to get some answers.
2: Mm-hmm. Honestly, the setting of this is great. The way Okerlund is like kind of lurking around the dressing room, uh, he goes in, and uh, I, I love. Because we don't see this exactly very much, this kind of setting. Flair is, like, in street clothes. He's, like, in a sweater or something. Uh, and you see, like, the robes are up on the wall and, like, the pictures of Flair and, like, famous people. And just, like, all the stuff that maybe you could say was missing when he first came in. And, you know, he's kind of stuck in his robe all the time. And uh, now now I feel like we see a much more fully formed Flair. And uh, just the setting of this is really excellent, I think.
1: I love this. I don't know that it makes that much sense that people's dressing rooms, I think that's what they're in, would look like that, but I don't care. I would give up the literal, you know, if you want to know who Ric Flair is, you pretend like nobody watches WWF anyway, or outside WWF anyway. So you come in and you got these expensive robes on the wall. You got Flair and women, Flair and celebrities. Ric Flair says it's a wall of fame. But you don't even get to Flair and you know what Flair is. You know who he is. He's kind of, to me, I forget how much, I don't know if you ever saw Cheers, but Sam Malone and Flair, they got the same kind of chin, the same kind of face, the same kind of gimmick. And this is the Sam Malone uh, version of Ric Flair because Sam Malone did everything Ric Flair did, but he never did it in a suit. He didn't do it in a limo, you know. And I like this in-between Flair. It's not Flair in the robe and it's not Flair in the suit. It's, It's Flair as a uh, northeastern or minnesota maybe you know it's, it's the cold weather uh half-dressed rick flair but it's it's a very sam Malone thing and i like it a lot it's very unique to wwf while not undermining rick flair and that's got to be the perfect f- formula for those involved
2: man they got my head spinning i'm trying to compare the four horsemen to cheers characters and, like <laughs> who are the horsemen of san malone and uh i don't know get yeah, fraser as uh arn anderson and that's as far as i gotten so far
1: so um <laughs> is a much better arn anderson than what i put in my notes because what i put in my notes is you know uh rick flair is doing randy savage like sam malone would do fraser but randy savage is no <laughs> <Frasier>.
2: <laughs> oh i can see i can see the comparison there as well um Oh, my God. I love I love Cheers. I'll just say yeah. that out. It's great stuff. Um, yeah, no, uh, this is very good. Um, uh, Flair will show uh, pictures even of uh, Flair and Liz, like, at a pool together, and, like, there will be more pictures of them, like, just kind of living a life together. He'll say the famous, uh, she was mine before she was yours, mm-hmm. and uh, you'll even say the only reason that she is with Savage is because Flair dumped her so uh we've got definitely something that will get under randy savage's skin we have a classic storyline here very iconic stuff
1: yeah and again it is undermining you want to be macho man you want to play this gimmick you know we know where to hit you we know how to hit you it's the best kept secret in all sports um he said that right now savage is on vacation with liz but liz is experiencing old time feelings um And here's the thing I love. This is so subtle, but he says, she can't look Randy in the eye. (laughs) How many people in all the stories that we've watched, I feel like you call him savage or you call him macho man. Ric Flair calls him Randy while talking about I was with your wife before you.
2: Mm, That invasion of intimacy. That's great. That's a good touch.
1: And again, this is not Frasier Crane. Invade at your own peril. But again, you're not Savage and you're not Macho, you're Randy and you're a disappointment, you're you're let's say um, not what I am. And Ric Flair look this is where Ric Flair is six foot ten. Stone Cold Steve Austin talks about this. He told Vince man, I'm not six foot ten. I can't compete with the Undertaker and all these guys. You've got to let me be me. And this right here, you can like it or you can not like it. But this is what makes Ric Flair six foot ten.
2: Mm, yeah, absolutely so. It's a, it's a great angle. Um, I will just say, it's good that Flair kind of upped the ante and said like a bunch more things, because on the surface of this, Flair, all he's really saying is, like, I used to date your wife like a long time ago before you were together, and that alone, I mean, I understand that that's going to make Randy Savage mad, but that alone really shouldn't make a person mad, yes. so I'm glad he kind of upped the ante here, Um but um anyway you look at it Savage if you think about it too hard he's going to kind of be showing those jealous uh, tendencies again but I guess we just accept that's who Randy Savage is at this point
1: Yeah you know that's why it's not good and bad people are what they are and he's getting exploited for his weakness and I thought about the same thing like all he's saying is like uh he dated her before she knew Randy. But number one, I think Savage would still be upset, even though he shouldn't be. I think the fans would be upset, even though they shouldn't be. So yeah, he yep. would still be hitting on something, but it wouldn't be what it is. And that that is that is but the beginning of what Ric Flair has to say.
2: Oh, yeah. It's going to go uh, on and on and on here. There are definitely more clips and promos that you could find. I, uh, I went with what I could find uh, off the top of my head here. So do check out that promo. It's good stuff. We got one from Randy Savage as well. And uh, why don't you take us through that one?
1: Yeah, so this one ends real quick on Flair saying, um, if you're thinking, how am I going to follow that act? You can't. Liz, you're dying to make that call. She has my number. Yes, she does, Gene. Make the call. So very direct. (laughs) He's also addressing Liz without addressing Savage, which, again, there's nothing wrong with that. But I think this you know... For Savage. (laughs) Yeah, that would be like an abomination. So I also, as we move to Savage, I want to put in my notes that I also said, or I want to put here that I said in my notes, Flair from late 91, early 92 through 1993 with Vader is to me just as good as anything I've watched Flair do.
2: Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, uh, his great moments in that whole period are about as great as anything. So, yeah, I'm with you there.
1: So we move on. And I left... Here's here's the thing, folks. I left this almost not liking that old Randy Savage. You know what a sad sack he is. Ric Flair is so like wonderful, mag- magnetic, and of course Liz is going to call him. And that old that old that old bark of, of a that old stump of a tree is in the way. I don't even want to see him do a promo. And then guess what? Randy Savage is sitting down with regular folk clothes on. Like he did when he was retired. Mm,
0: yeah.
1: Like he did when his world was threatened and people put hands and weapons on him and Liz. It's the exact same scene and it's the exact same savage. And before he spoke, I went from I don't want to see him to, oh, my God, who's Ric Flair? How dare
2: that guy? <laughs> <laughs> that's brilliant. I love that. That's, um, that's such a great feud. I, I think I said before flair and savage will will go above flair and steamboat to me and i think that's not the um popular take but i think that with this great story and the great match they're going to have they actually elevate even above that
1: i agree 100 percent but i i like to undermine steamboat and get and get in trouble so i'm not a good influence and i like steamboat folks please don't think otherwise but uh (laughs) this is the story to me the story of this uh it's like a long view with Stingbo and Flair where you're seeing kind of a similar storyline, but it's far off. This one here is like they learned how to use a close-up on the camera.
2: <laughs> yeah, I know. By God, they did. We're going to see a very close-up of Randy Savage here in this uh, promo.
1: This, and this dirty, this dirty man named Gene Arcland, who's been invited into Savage. Savage number one probably on a good day doesn't invite people in his home. He, he really doesn't invite them in his home when there's rumors that Elizabeth is having an affair with Ric Flair. And yet, he brings Gene Urkel in his home. He's sitting, like, covered up, head down. And Gene Urkel just lambasts him with every single rumor. And instead of being like, did something go on with Elizabeth and uh, Flair in the past, or is something going on now? He decides, I'm going to tell you every detail that Ric Flair said to me. So he's like, you know, oh, but they said that X. And Savage is like, untrue. Oh, but he said Y, untrue. Oh, but, and Sa- all Savage says the whole promo untrue 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 and this is where i wrote down this is not Frazier crane that you're dealing with you know if Di- diane can run off with Frazier and sam can do his thing and and more than likely we're still going to end up with sam and diane but this is macho man randy savage and he's not like rick flair and the, the the risk that you run whether you're jake roberts or rick flair you know exactly which button to push you know how to push it it might be the easiest button to push in all of wrestling you just don't know what's going to happen on the other side of that push
2: (laughs) oh it's the big red button that says do not push That you can't (laughs) resist pushing but by god you shouldn't have pushed it uh but how could you resist it's right there it's so tempting so easy to press oh man yeah anything could happen when you go here savage is on full fire you know he's ready to explode all over his own home here (laughs)
0: Yeah,
1: you would think he'd be jumping up and down and pacing. And we talked about he was mumbling to himself with Jake until he mumbled all the way to the ring and ran out and attacked him. He's only saying three words right now, and I've not seen him like this. Congratulations, Ric Flair. You made Macho Man into a Macho Man we've never seen. And, you know, congratulations, Ric Flair, because you still got to wrestle this guy. (laughs)
2: uh like you said you could understand flair's plan he's gonna upset savage he's gonna kind of uh hope he makes a mistake that he's distracted that he has things on his mind and yet i don't know if that's the right way to go against randy savage because he is all explosion as we have talked about before and you are literally just throwing fuel on the fire here so uh we will see i guess if it works out for flair in the end i think we already know the answer to that but uh it's it's a great idea for a feud. It's very simple. It's something you could only really do with Savage, and it works so well. And it works because it's Flair, because it's Savage, even because it's Liz. It's just very good stuff.
1: Yeah, and it's it's a it's a show of contrast because Ric Flair is loud and he's gloating, and he would have talked all hour about what what happened or didn't happen. And Savage says three words, so we have contrasted them. And I will say, it's one of those if if she was having an affair with Ric Flair because. Liz will sit down with Vince McMahon at, at their home, and she will talk about how the magazine – she can't believe that the magazine would just take those images from a guy like Ric Flair and not question it and run them. And then in order to prove that it's a lie, they're going to bring the negatives because every picture of Ric Flair and uh, Liz by the pool everywhere else, that's Randy Savage, but he has just uh, uh, put himself in there. And what an amazing mind, whether it's Liz or Flair – to to be like, to get Randy Savage to take every single picture that you know in the past you took with Ric Flair so that if Ric Flair ever said this, you could be like, hey, those are just the images that we took by the pool, remember?
2: (laughs) What a mastermind. It's great, yeah, and this feud will have twists and turns and the photos will be fakes and Flair will promise to release, like, naked pictures (laughs) if he wins and, like, it's going to be a whole bunch of stuff going on here
1: (laughs) I don't know if, they're, if they are they're were fake or not because I do know – I can't not know in my mind that the, the, all these folks are going to go to WCW and she's going to betray uh, Randy Savage and join Ric Flair. So, <laughs> you know, it, it's complicated. It's grown-up stuff, folks.
2: It is. It might be a
1: children's program, but these are a bunch of grown-ups. They got their lives.
2: They do. They do. <laughs> hey, you know, even if the photos are uh, fake, maybe Liz uh, was intrigued mm. by the possibility. You never know.
1: Yeah. That's an interesting point. It's a beautiful feud because – In a way, you got too bragged. Like, Ric Flair could call himself Macho Man, and it would be a very different kind of Macho Man. So, like, they're so similar in in a tiniest bit of way, and they're so different in every other way. And so, again, like, I, I just believe if Sam Malone had been pouring beer for professional wrestler Randy Savage, and then Randy Savage started dating Diane, it would have been a different kind of threat. And it's not a knock on Frazier. That man took 20 years of television and ran away with it. But my God, Ric Flair! This is what Kurt Hennig and Bobby Heenan are being paid for. Somebody should have said, "My friend, that's not Fraser Crane over there."
2: <laughs> uh, the Hugh Brisk once again. I'll just say, if Randy Savage came into the Cheers Bar, they'd all have to flee to that little pool room in the back. <laughs> so yeah. that's a different kind of energy, I think, than they're used to in that bar. So.
1: I love that. Anytime they end up in that little pool room, there's a problem.
2: <laughs> Absolutely.
1: Oh my God. This is what, this is, I told you this in the nuts. Like, this is one of my favorite, even on paper, when you sent this bonus footage, this is one of my favorites I've ever seen. And I, I'm just giddy at the stuff that I'm watching because whether it's Savage, who's getting a second run or Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, the undertaker who are getting a first run or Roddy Piper, all of this makes me happy. And we're just leaving the second of three masterpieces and by God, we're going to fall into
2: another. I would say how, how as a um, religious sheltered uh, kid that you were, and I say that because I also was uh, not too far away from that same thing, but how did you cope with this at a young age? Just people having affairs and like satanic uh, snake (laughs) men and like all this stuff like this must've been overwhelming at times.
1: It's, I think it's the same answer when you asked me about The Undertaker. Like, I sat and looked at it. And I don't i don't know that I fully even knew, like, what I – my brain my, – it was not a brain connection. It was a, oh, my God, what is this? Like, I just sat with my mouth open, like, oh, my God. You know, because, like, you can't dislike Ric Flair. Like, you should hate Ric Flair for some of the stuff he's doing. But you can't – I can't dislike anybody in this area. It's just – I said it the other week. It's blues and yellows, and all I see is, like, bright colors and, like, they're, they're watermarker colors because you could dive into them, and then you can like reshape things. It's so beautiful. Like When I watched WCW, I was like, Lex Luger's my favorite wrestler. And I thought wrestling was real. I was a child, and I had never watched wrestling, and I cried. I cried the night that Lex Luger revealed that he was the guy that had brought Cactus Jack and Abdullah. He clipped Sting, and then he... Uh, took Sting's leg, and he sent Sting to the hospital. I cried that night because I realized that Lex Luger had just done something so stupid, and that he was going to lose his belt to Sting. He, I knew he could beat Barry Wyndham. I, I knew he could beat Z-Man, but I knew his reign was over, and I cried because he had done that. Mm. WWF, I had no thought. I just sat and beheld the spectacle. Mm. And it, Both, they're, they're different, but they're equally beautiful. I love this era of wrestling.
2: Oh, It's so good, yeah. Early early 92, you know, uh, across the board, I think, is, is just about as good as you can get. so much good stuff here.
1: It is. You know, I don't know who's booking this stuff. It's so nuanced. Like Roddy Piper, we're about to get Bret Hart and Roddy Piper, and we're going to get a completely different Piper and the exact same Piper at the same time. Mm. He's, such a, he's such a trickster. He's so shrewd. And Bret Hart's a baby. He's got his little deer-in-the-head light look, even though – you know, we're going to know he's going to be a lot of things, but right now he's a baby. And I don't think he fully knows like Piper's moving left, right. And Brett's a straight shooter. And how do you shoot something that's all over the place?
2: Mm, Indeed. Yeah. Now this, this is great. I couldn't pick my favorite of these three. Each of them has a claim to, to being the best, I think story going into WrestleMania, but man, if you put a gun to my head, it might be this one. Honestly, like this is just so good. This segment we're about to talk about is truly one of my favorites.
1: I love this as well, but I grew up with this. I'm just going to sit back and let you take the lead. I'm just going to jump in when it's appropriate.
2: All right. Sounds good. So we got Gene Okerlund. He's going to do a, a face-to-face with Piper. They're on the the, the platform, that great little raised platform. Um, there, There's a question of, of Brett and Piper. There's even a sign that Okerlund kind of uh, takes from a fan and shows off. So they're going to have some kind of conversation here. We know that. Um, Brett Hart's there. Roddy Piper's there, Piper comes out, he's holding his kilt, he's not wearing it, he says uh, he only wears it to fight, and he doesn't want to fight, he sits down with Brett, and uh, I love this visual of them just sitting there on this platform, their legs are kind of hanging over the side, there's something so casual, so friendly, so familial about it, and that's going to be the right feeling, because Piper will talk about, I knew you Bret Hart, as a kid, as a baby even, I think I changed your diaper Um, You know, when you were a baby, um, it's great stuff. Piper says, and this is the Piper that is, you know, there's the Piper who's just wacky, like trying to tell a joke every second. And then there's this Piper who we rarely get. And this is the Piper who is so he's really wearing an emotion on his sleeve and and he's talking quietly and almost regretfully. So I think I need to back out of this wrestlemania match because i don't have the heart to fight you i love my family too much and man what a great all the things you say about piper you know and god knows there are bad piper moments but when he is good man this is just incredible stuff right here
1: yeah there's the old saying when i'm good i'm good when bad i'm better roddy piper when he's bad he's just bad but when he's good he's better (laughs)
2: Man, I think it's Piper who says that, too, and yeah. he's, he's wrong about it. So. Yeah.
1: This Holy is so smokes. beautiful because, my God, I believe there, there are two Roddy Piper speaking, and I believe both of them.
0: Mm.
1: Um, there's this Roddy Piper saying, like, I don't want to fight you. And you think about how this is a man who was abused in his childhood. This is a man who had no family. This is a man who lived on the streets. This is a man who learned to scrap as a child. And you really believe when he cares about somebody that there is a price to pay for something that might sabotage that. And at the same time, every line that he says, like, I cared for you and then I changed your diaper or that, you know, we went to your house one time and your mom was in her bathrobe and uh, she made us sandwiches. I love your mom. You know, like, where does the sincerity begin? Where does it end? Is he trying to get out of the match or is he trying to psychologically win the match on that day?
2: I really like to think that he is sincere here, but I think also you're right. There is an element of he's kind of big timing Mm Brett a little bit. He's kind of trying to make him feel small a little bit. I don't even know if he's trying to do it exactly because he comes off so sincere here. And yet if you're Brett Hart, how do you not bristle a little bit at this? Cause you're not a baby. Your mom's not here with a sandwich <laughs> in the bathroom. You know, you're the, you, you know, you've been a champion. You, you, you yeah. work so hard. You've done all this work, you know? So Bret Hart will respond. He, he says that he understands what Piper is saying, but he says, Piper, if you won't fight me, then you need to give up that intercontinental title. Um Piper, now maybe his hackles are up a little bit. He says, uh, Brett, you're you're a nice man. Your family's legendary, but I fight in the streets, and it's always for keeps. So uh, if Brett thinks that if they're going to fight, they're just going to shake hands and fight honorably, then he's got another thing coming. And he's trying to warn Brett here. A little bit of what could happen here of kind of the uh the pain that they could both be in for if brett wants to walk down this road and again i feel like it comes off very sincere and yet also clearly like there's an element of i will not even say menace but definitely an element of warning here and a feeling that brett you might be in over your head if you go in it with me here
1: yeah there's so much underneath again which is The same thing that will build Bret Hart up is the thing that will tear him down in 97, which is he is cool, a straight shooter. He's a sheriff from an old time Western. And so if he had let Piper get under his skin, Piper would have already won the WrestleMania match. But it's just like Bret Hart to pause, not say anything, take a step back and then be like, you know what? If you don't wrestle me, you forfeit the belt because I am the challenger so he hits him with a straightforward black like he could have brought out a contract and said look at uh, line line c you know here <laughs> and I don't I think that's just Brett Hart but if there is a remedy for Roddy Piper it is to respond to him that way mm.
2: yeah it's it's amazing I think it Brett it was just a little bit different just slightly different then he could have just as easily come out here and say, okay, Piper, I agree. You know, let's not fight. You just be the intercontinental title and I'll, I'll fight somebody later, you know, for it. And, you know, doop doop Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. You know, like he is just a step away from that. But as you said, Brett is such a, a straight liner. Like, I feel like he can only go forward sometimes and he's got a higher calling here and this higher calling of competition kind of demands that he goes along with this and,
1: Yeah, that's great. I also think even though this is the year that Bret Hart becomes world champion, he's barely a singles wrestler at this point. And so I wonder if what Piper really is saying or is really feeling is, I love you, Bret Hart, and I respect your family. I respect the legacy of your family. I love you. I respect them. Like, you're just a pup. Like, I can't respect you even if I want to. Like, you know, you're harmless. You're a kid.
2: Right the baby in the diaper yeah
1: yeah and and that's not Bret Hart's image of Bret Hart
2: no yeah for sure so they're having conflicting images of Bret Hart right here and also I feel like there's another layer to this it's so beautifully layered you talk about Bret Hart he's barely a singles wrestler Roddy Piper is one of the biggest wrestling stars of all time he is a legend he is an enormous name and you've got to think on some level he's thinking I don't want to beat this kid and ruin his career. Cause like in his mind, I think there's at least a chance he thinks that he's just going to wipe the floor with this guy. Like he'll destroy him. He'll do his tricks, you know, he'll do his fighting. He'll do his scrapping. And Bret Hart will just get destroyed and embarrassed. And maybe he'll never recover from it. And Piper doesn't want that. And yet Piper being who he is, there's no way he can back down if Bret Hart pushes the challenge through.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I have always thought from 1992 onward that he was more afraid of embarrassing Bret Hart than Bret Hart beating him. Mm. And not... Yeah, go ahead.
2: No, I agree agree completely.
1: When you think about how this match is going to end, and we'll get into that in two weeks, I think some of that hesitancy... This is how... (sighs) I don't know if I've ever seen someone put another person over better in my life because... Mm -hmm. He's so far above Bret Hart, like, legacy-wise at this time. And he's going to embarrass Bret Hart and embarrass him. But he's emba- every time he embarrasses him, it's a way that you as a fan, that makes you want to see Bret Hart rise up. And he's not going to hurt his own legacy because Bret Hart's going to barely slip past him. So Bret Hart is going to get in in that space where Roddy Piper made a mental mistake. But that's not going to lessen Bret Hart either because Bret Hart's career is about slipping in where someone leaves a defense so i've never seen someone love someone and put them over in such an interesting way like i really feel like all piper wanted to do was put bret hart over but they were going to have to go a very rotty piper way and bret hart was going to have to survive it in order for it to happen
2: yeah and not for nothing i mean uh I don't know if we've ever seen anybody pin Roddy Piper in the entire Legacy Series. Like, this is a guy who, maybe more than anybody, was so protective of of any losses he might take. Like, he never was pinned by Hogan through this whole era, uh, by, by Savage, by anybody that I can think of. So the fact that, yeah, he's going to go here and give up this loss to Bret Hart, that means a tremendous amount, and yet it doesn't feel when we get to the match it's not gonna feel like he's just giving it up it does feel like Bret Hart is just such a swordsman like such a duelist that he will Mm -hmm. find that chink in the armor and he will stick it through at just the right time
1: yeah that's so good man uh Bret Hart will be so mad in a year because Hulk Hogan won't put him over But yet he was put over by the man who, in four years, will tell Hulk Hogan, you know what bothers you? I'm the only guy that you have never been able to beat. Mm,
2: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, not for nothing, Bret Hart maybe had a right to be mad about how the way that went down. And beating Piper is not the same as beating Hogan, no matter how protective he was. But still, yeah, you've got to look at what a thing, what a big thing it is that Brett is actually going to pin Roddy Piper.
1: Yeah. It is Roddy Piper's choice, I do believe.
2: Oh yeah. I think there's no way that he would have put it. I don't if he wasn't planning to get pinned by Brett, I think he never would have even agreed to win the Intercontinental title, so yeah. yeah. He's, uh,
1: and this is a man who to me is terrifyingly paranoid. Oh sure. And you know, that tells you what he thought about Bret Hart not just as a wrestler, but a human being. Like for Roddy Piper to give this... Like Hulk Hogan will not put people over the same way Ric Flair won't because he's got to protect something, like a spot on the roster. Uh, everything Roddy Piper does in his life, I think he's trying to protect Roddy Piper, the human being, because he's never had, like covering over his head. Yeah. So to invite Bret Hart into that world and to do that, I just don't think there's a higher compliment. Bret Hart is going to excel far beyond this, but he may never get a higher compliment in a weird way than what Roddy Piper is doing for him right now.
2: Yeah yeah Whew. it means a lot for sure. Um, we move along with this segment uh, they, they um, Piper tells Brett, I love this. He says if you want to fight then I'm gonna to try to tear you apart from now until WrestleMania but I would rather have the friendship than the fight. And that, man, that, oh, this is so good. I love this.
1: Yeah. I will hate you between now and then.
2: Yeah.
1: And then, oh, my God, he picks up. This is so beautiful. He picks up the belt and holds it high over his head like he's going to hit Brett. And Brett turns around, and nothing happens. And for one moment, I'm like, that was the cringiest, like, like uh, mess up to end such a beautiful thing. And then Roddy Piper tells him. I had you if I wanted to, I had you. Mm,
2: yeah. He says next time I am playing for keeps. And it's so damn good, man. I feel like I'm watching um like a western and like the greatest duelist in the town is now getting challenged by his son or something and they're trapped by this like their family and yet there's something more important like the core of who these guys are. Both of them, in different ways, but just the same, is that they need to come out the winner. Piper's got to come out the winner because, like you said, he's paranoid and he can't back down for a fight. And his whole system is like geared and wired to not back down from a fight, to not lose a fight. And then on Brett's side, his whole thing is geared to, like, I must compete. I must, like, kind of live up to my family. I must test myself against everyone to get to the top. Neither of them are able to pull away from this path and neither of them want it to end in tragedy. And they both know it could end in tragedy. Like it's kind of amazing. They'll walk away from this as friends. Cause this is going to been a, a, a spectacular blow up between them. And yet I think it is all the better that they will come through this and neither will suffer a fatality, even though they will go through some hard times.
1: Absolutely. This is how you animate and illuminate the idea of the excellence of execution, because Bret Hart said almost nothing in that promo, and Piper did have him at the end if he wanted to. So, if Bret Hart doesn't do anything, and he loses, Bret Hart is the biggest joke in wrestling history, because he was a deer in the headlights in the promo, and he's a deer in the headlights in the match, and he's just a tag wrestler, and he's out of his truth. But if Bret Hart beats Roddy Piper, it means that everything that roddy piper did it didn't needle him it didn't make him sweat he didn't even need to say anything because he's so cool and he's such the excellence of execution that he knows that when they get in the ring he is going to best roddy piper because he's the best there is the best there was and the best there ever will be and he just knows it
2: mm, yeah it's great and again bret hart you can say he didn't say much you can say maybe maybe he was a deer in the headlights maybe he wasn't here in this promo but the great thing about bret hart is you really feel like he learned something here you Mm. feel like he would not get caught again the next time like he is one who will always remember everything that happens to him and he will build brick by brick that tower of his ability
1: that's perfect because what he's going to do is slip one over on roddy piper and we talked about the fact that piper let him win but how many people win by slipping one over on roddy piper
2: yeah, absolutely. And you know, on some level we have to talk about he let him win, but man, you watch the match and Piper didn't give up anything. You no. know, Bret Hart fought for every bit of it. So, you know, all praise to both these guys. This is beautiful stuff.
1: This is beautiful, but this is also the competitive world that we're in because Randy Savage and Rick Flair are on top of the world, but Bret Hart's coming. Uh Bret Hart is on his way. But now we're going to go to a rookie named Shawn Michaels who, guess what, is going to be trailing Bret Hart for the rest of his time in WWF.
2: <laughs> Indeed. I say, Before we go there, let's maybe switch around these last two segments okay. so that they uh, kind of go a little more chronologically. Um, before we go to Shawn Michaels properly, first we're going to go back to the funeral parlor and who should be on but Sensational Sherry, and she is going to tell us about a big development in her life. And, man, this is another bit. I really love this bit. <laughs>
1: Yes, I want to give Sherry her due and then I'll tell you why I left this thinking that the funeral parlor is as good as anything in the history of pro wrestling. So tell, tell. Sherry, man. Sherry, number one, has been with uh, Macho Man Randy Savage where they were like Disney characters, Disney villains, uh, kind of equals, uh, which is uh, very much different than where Savage was. Then she's with Ted DiBiase and it's all about money. It's a whole different thing. And now she has found herself a boy toy. What an interesting world this Sherry lives in.
2: (laughs) She's a woman of intense passion. She gives herself over totally to whatever she's in, whether it's, uh, you know, kind of that evil power, whether it's money. Hey, now it's love. Sensational Sherry is in love. She's going to give herself totally over to that, and I love it.
1: Apparently we say love in 1992 because we cannot have a woman driven by her lust because it is not love folks that is going on right now
2: hey she loves the um you know the sex she's having with sean michaels <laughs> yeah no, I'm, I'm down with it
1: how can you be you want to talk about range how can you be so scary that it's hard to watch you and then come out and play like a 13 year old girl in love
2: <laughs> oh i love sherry man she's the best
1: and then to do it on the freaking funeral parlor with Paul Bearer so that every time she talks about I'm in love, she ends with comma Paul Bearer, which makes no sense in this world, and it works and it's beautiful, and this is why I watched this with my mouth hanging open as a child because none of it makes sense and all of it pays off
2: This is like, uh, again, one of these Disney movies you might see um, maybe in a sequel or something like the, 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 the villain will fall in love and will start acting like this. And, you know, they're still in their evil tower or castle or, or lair or whatever. But even so, you know, they um, uh, they're just they're feeling that feeling and uh, it's still a beautiful thing. <laughs>
1: That's the perfect analogy, because we know the second movie is never going to do as good as the first one. And this is not going to be Sherry and Savage numbers in the 80s. But one of two things happens with the second movie. Either everyone pens it and they hates it and they hate it or secretly it's like, oh, my God, I know it's not the first one, but it's actually personally my favorite. It's just weirdly like I like it and I watch it more than the other one.
2: It's the cult classic, absolutely. I think it's the second one. And I will just say, for being the funeral parlor, watch Sherry, of course. But please watch Paul Bearer as well. The reactions that he has to the things that Sherry says, they're just priceless. They're amazing. I got to give all credit also to Paul Bearer, who is amazing. He is like the the, the, the hunchbacked evil sidekick. (laughs) who's, like, amazed at this change in uh, the evil queen, and it's just beautiful.
1: Yeah. You so rightly said that uh, the Undertaker had a different kind of darkness, because, like, Jake's is too complicated. But if it's too difficult for a man who is all about darkness to understand Jake's darkness, like, what in the world is he supposed to make of this whole Sherry promo?
2: (laughs) Indeed. Like, the difference... Jake's darkness... um, is very lusty, I think. There's something kind of like darkly sexual about yeah. it. Whereas Undertaker probably has like the Ken doll crotch. Like I don't think he is capable of like any sort of uh, romantic or sexual feelings. So this this must be just like you you see it on Bear's face. He's like amazed to hear this. So I don't know if yes. anyone ever told him about all this stuff before.
1: <laughs> I think he's the most fascinated man in the building at the moment. <laughs> Uh, Oh, amazing. She says that she has found the man of her dreams, Paul Bearer. Um, I'm in love with a man with flowing blonde locks, Paul Bearer. Uh, He makes my blood run hot. I am in love with Shawn Michaels.
2: Oh, oh, Shawn. She's going to (laughs) record that theme song, which uh, in my opinion is maybe the superior version of that iconic theme song all about her boy toy. And, uh, Those noises she makes when she's around him, which uh, I got news for you. Those are sexual noises, ladies and gentlemen.
1: (laughs) Now that he and Marty Gennetti are no longer an item, and then Paul Bear says, what about Ted DiBiase? And by God, uh, uh, her teddy bear has left the door wide open. He's still giving her gifts, but my teddy bear knows what makes me happy is sharing all my wealth with Shawn Michaels. So I would have thought at this time that we were entering a relationship where she was still going to be in a relationship with Ted DiBiase while having an affair with Shawn Michaels. And it's 1992 in the so-called cartoon world of the WWF.
2: (laughs) It's beautiful. I love that they reference uh, Ted DiBiase in this way and that connection is kind of uh, still maintained it's very good stuff. I also loved that apparently Marty Janetti was like the barrier to this, and the, yeah. if he was around, it couldn't have happened. So take yeah. that for what you will.
1: It's an amazing. It is one of the best things. Like we're talking about an era where we are we are putting over almost everything, and this is so low key compared to it. And yet, like the same criteria we're using on everything we just talked about, this one checks checks the boxes.
2: Mm-hmm. Indeed, indeed it does.
1: When I saw this man. I thought they're going to ruin Sherry's moment. They're going to ruin Sherry and Sean because you can't have this on the funeral parlor and make it make sense and be serious. And my God, you can. Yes, you can. <laughs> you can't have it on brother love with his stupid self trying to steal the show and making noises and yelling over them. You can have anything you want on the funeral parlor and it can work.
2: Absolutely. It's the best. And it'll go on. I think even when he's uh, a baby phase, um oh, so okay. take that for what you will i don't know how much we'll see of that but uh definitely we'll keep an eye on it for sure mm-hmm.
1: you can't how man how how do you play Paul pallbearer and not only do that but then also be this kind of host mm-hmm. to sherry and the revelations that we just mentioned like i don't know how i don't know how like i feel like if i hyped it up all three hours it wouldn't be enough because i never in my life i do i hear anyone talking about it To the point that when I thought when we got here, it would be a silly sideshow, and it's actually on par with the best of the best of WWF. And somebody needs to say that out loud.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, Paul Bear is incredible in general. He just does not get enough attention as he should because people are like, oh, he was around with Undertaker, you know, early on. Man, Paul Bear is going to be around through almost this whole series, I think, in various roles, and you know, maybe he won't be on T V all that time, but like he'll be in the Attitude Era, he'll be with Undertaker, he'll be against Undertaker at all these different times, and he's gonna have a rich and storied variety of roles here. So I'm all about Paul Bear. I think he's tremendously underrated. I love the guy. We're gonna see a whole lot more of him as we go forward.
1: We want to ask, like, well, can Undertaker have the same Undertaker run if he started with Brother Love? And I felt like we thought no. I don't think Undertaker has this run with anyone except who he had it with.
0: Mm.
2: Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, uh, Brother Love, thank God that was shelved uh, almost immediately because this is where it's at. Paul Bear helped Undertaker tremendously. And, yeah, I don't know what happens if he's not around or if he's stuck with Brother Love. I I do think that it would be uh, something different, to say the least.
1: Because once the Undertaker is set in motion, it takes care of itself. Mm-hmm. But like to launch this thing, it it has a nine out of ten chance to fail, in my opinion. And partly it doesn't because the guy who plays The Undertaker is phenomenal. But partly it doesn't because before you know what the Undertaker's about, Fall Paul Bearer gets to fill in the blanks and go before him.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: Okay, that's a, a fabulous. Good good God, find the footage. Ms. Fan shares it. Um, find the things we're talking about and watch them because they are phenomenal. This is some peak pro wrestling, in my opinion.
2: Yeah, yeah, so good. Um, last thing we're going to talk about, and we touched on it already, we have a, a very interesting match. We have Roddy Piper defending that Intercontinental title against Shawn Michaels. And I'll just say uh, the action of the match You know, I can maybe take it or leave it. It's decent. Uh, It's maybe nothing amazing. But just the fact that the match exists is very interesting to me. And then even better that it will play into this excellent Piper versus Brett feud.
1: This is what made me uh, make that comment about this might be my favorite bonus stuff because... Everything that you listed is stuff I've seen before and love, except this, and I've never heard of this and seen this, and I didn't care. I knew what kind of match this was going to be, but it's just special that it exists.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Like, I'm so glad (laughs) I could bring to you an expert, a first-hand expert on this era, stuff that has not been seen. It just shows you the depth and the richness of this era. There's so much good stuff that can be unearthed here.
1: I also find it fascinating that more than once now, Bobby Heenan is called Shawn Michaels, who was born like yesterday, uh, (laughs) the star of the 90s.
2: Yeah, yeah, we're actually getting that conversation now. Um, A few years later, than WCW was having it, but now now we are having uh, some of that conversation as well on the WWF side.
1: Yeah, there's some spitting and some slapping and some shoving to start. I will say one thing about early Shawn Michaels. I just watched... It's an older uh, documentary. Um, it's the Razor's Edge. It's a Scott Hall documentary. Mm-hmm. And I keep forgetting that he's like the greatest mind that ever existed because how would you know it other than hearing stories about it? <laughs> like he's he's the reason for Crow Sting, which is Sting's only yeah. successful run and, and partly why WCW dominated. Sure, and he WSG. came up with his
2: own. He came up with Razor Ramon, which is what got him over, you know. Yes. So, yeah, I mean- I mean, he, he stole that it way. from Scarface, but, you know, he did it in such a way that really worked. So, you know, you got to give a lot of credit.
1: Yeah, something like that could flop as easily as it could succeed. Absolutely. But he said he told young Shawn Michaels as the heel, like, he said Shawn Michaels was trying to, like, punch people and, like, brawl and be, like, a, a, that certain kind of heel, and I was like, don't do that. that that's not the guy. Like, you are a heel in your behavior. He thought that if he wrestled... Like Shawn Michaels, he might not be a heel because people might pop for some of the stuff and it would be more of a baby face kind of thing. So he tried to be like that kind of brawler that we see early in his career. And Scott Hall is the one who pulled him aside and was like, don't do that. Like, you're a heel because of what you embody, not because of your wrestling moves.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, I, I that, that's great. I didn't even know that story, but I'm not surprised. As you say, uh, Scott Hall just appears to be just an incredibly insightful and uh intelligent like wrestling mind and uh, you always have to wonder you know if he had not had such considerable demons to deal with you know what might have become of this guy's career like he could have gone anywhere as high as he wanted to go i think
1: yeah it's wonderful um i love bobby this is quite an insult here and i want to use it somewhere but i don't want to offend anybody but <laughs> it's just so good before i kiss piper i'd rather kiss a hospital mop <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's incredible, and I'll say, I I uh, this was earlier on the show, I think, I forgot to mention this, but at Saturday Night's Main Event, I believe Heenan also says, I would rather have no friends than be friends with Hulk Hogan, Brutus Beefcake, or Sid Justice. So. Yes,
1: <laughs> and the whole thing, you think he's about to comp- make one worse than the other, and he just can't do it. Nope. Like, no. <laughs>
2: <laughs> They're all worse than nothing, and he was right on point.
1: Oh, man, so this is about again if you watch wrestling long enough you can sit back and imagine what young Shawn Michaels and Riley Piper do in this matchup but I think it's still worth looking at
2: I think so yeah it's it's very decent it's a very nice uh, historical match you can definitely see um, some interesting stuff in here Um, finish comes uh, referee gets bumped Sherry gives Shawn Michaels her her shoe the deadly shoe he hits Piper with it Uh, Brett runs down he's going to try to help Piper he throws him the shoe as well uh for a weapon but uh the referee catches him with it and he gets disqualified so we have piper yelling at bret hart to stay out of his life tells him to do something about it if he doesn't like the way it's going down and so we definitely got big tension between those two there
1: yeah bret hart teams up with earl hebner to screw roddy piper (laughs) on behalf of Shawn michaels no less
2: take that for what you will how interesting (laughs)
1: I love that part at the end because Rodney Piper said, I'm going to hate you between now and then. And he, and he just yells at him, stay out of my life. Uh, if you don't like it, do something about it. Mm. And but that's also, that's the, that's the other side of Bret Hart because he's a do, he's a bit of a do-gooder and you know, he's not like staying at all because he will do what he needs to do. But like anytime you're a do-gooder, there's that line is there and where you come out and you hurt the person you're trying to help. But you also think you can't be blamed for it because of your intentions. And Piper definitely is not going to play that game with him.
2: Nope. No, Piper knows where that road goes, that good intentions road, which is why he never had good intentions in his life. So. <laughs>
1: yeah. So this is beautiful, though, because it it shows us Shawn Michaels, it shows us Sherry in their early run, but it continues to strengthen the Bret Hart, Roddy F- Piper matchup to come. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I could not be more excited about WrestleMania Eight. This uh, main event that just just finds itself in the wrong slot on the card. Uh, the Undertaker and Jake Roberts, Piper and Bret Hart. We are looking at a phenomenal uh, experience. Lex Luger will speak to Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby Heenan. <laughs> so, oh man, we got a lot to look forward to, Miss Fan.
2: We do indeed. We also have Shawn Michaels and Tito Santana. That'll be a fun one. We have uh, Owen Hart in his first WrestleMania singles match against uh, Skinner, or his first. Uh, without a mask on, I should say, because I think you mm. wrestled Mr. Perfect at another one. Um, Tatanka will be with us for the first time, so take that for what you will. Um, yeah, there'll be a lot of interesting stuff on this card, so uh, I'm looking forward to it. It'll not be without its flaws, but it'll have some extremely good highs, so good stuff.
1: Mm. I cannot imagine. If you had asked me, I would have told you Tatanka. There's no way Tatanka was on WrestleMania 8. <laughs>
2: Yep, wrestling Rick Martel, so that'll be interesting.
1: I will try to be kind, but Tatanka... I don't know if I'll be very kind to Tatanka, so... He's the reason that Lex Luger had a chance to have a second life in WWF, and all it... Like, Lex Luger could have been a main event player, but he got screwed at SummerSlam 93. Lex Luger could have had a revival, but he got screwed at SummerSlam 94. So SummerSlam is not going to be his show.
2: No, no, it will not, but um, it'll be interesting, nevertheless.
1: The talk is with us. All right, folks, man. So two weeks from now, Miss Finn?
2: Uh, Yeah, two weeks from now, WrestleMania 8 will air, so thank you for listening along, hopefully watching along. Uh, As I said before, bear with us as we work out kind of this staggered release schedule. Uh, But yes, please keep your comments coming. I am on Twitter. I am at SpectralGent. Give me a shout. Give me a follow. Uh, Keep up the conversation at LOPForums.com as well, where we always have a lot of great great conversation going on a lot of wonderful discussion there uh also, also wrestling for a lot of good uh wrestling conversation in general and last and definitely not least all the other great programs on lop radio check out all that stuff so much good stuff out there to keep you ocup- occupied it's just a wealth of wonderful stuff so thank you that is all we have for this week in two weeks wrestlemania eight until then mystic take us home
1: Until then, don't let the legacy be dictated to you, rewatch, revisit, rewrite.
0: Coming up to meet you, he's the one that's scared, it's just an undiscovered creature. Coming up to meet ya, he's the one that's scared, the undiscovered creature, the undiscovered creature. I saw this one in books or heard a myth of it Looks like it came from underwater I thought I'd seen every life form But there it is, an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet you, he's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature, coming up